RadioInfluence.com. You've seen Chef Ryan Duffy on Spike TV's Bar Rescue, NBC's Today Show, and opening bars and restaurants all over the world. Now he's sharing his stories, his friends, and some tips of the trade he's learned along the way. Prepare yourself to get Duffified. What? This is Duffified Live with Chef Brian Duffy on Radio Influence. Hey everybody, this is Brian Duffy and you guys are listening to the first ever episode of Duffified Live. Uh, pretty stoked about this. It's been a, a long time coming through the whole thing. Um, started working on this project about a year ago, getting a whole bunch of things put together, and uh, it, it they just kept falling through. I just couldn't find the right people. I couldn't find the people that I really trusted and and uh, and really wanted to work with to do it. So we finally did uh, with the boys from Radio Influence. Um, so we are super stoked about that and uh, to get this whole thing going and uh, and, and watch it grow. That's, that's kind of the whole point for this is... Um, you know, Duffified Live is, uh, the idea Duffified is um, a word that was kind of made up about eight years ago um, when I decided that I was going to kind of, uh, I was going to try to experience life as much as I possibly could. Um, never say no to things and really take as many experiences um, at, that were thrown at me. And I got to a point that basically for the last eight years, I've said yes to almost everything that's come my way. So I want to be able to share a lot of the experiences that I have with that, with being on the road and going to different countries and a bunch of the people that I meet and uh, and all that stuff because you know being on the road and uh, drinking and 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 partying and and hanging out at bars in the middle of uh, these shady parts of town uh, you get to meet some pretty great characters so you never know who's going to end up uh, and end up on the show um, it is uh, you know duffified again is is the, the, the world of never saying no it's about seeing as much as you can experiencing as as much as you can and and really um, trying to get the most out of life that you possibly can. So that's what this whole thing's about. Uh, I'm not going to get all philosophical and crazy and, and all that stuff on your sentimental or anything, although I may have a tear in my eye. Uh, it's one of those things that uh, I, I like to share. People like to hear the stories, and I like talking about them. So, so that's kind of what we're going to do. Um, so for this week, uh, we get to start off with uh, a guy who is uh, very close to me. He's, uh, he, we've been friends for about five years. Um, he uh, he was on a show called Bar Rescue with me. I don't know if you guys ever heard of that one. And yes, I'll answer the question about what, what what's Taffer really like at a later date. But uh, but Tips and I had a lot of fun together. We actually got to travel the country together. Um, we got to go and speak with Taffer in the, a little thing we called uh, the Rescue Tour, uh, which we did for a while. We got to travel around. Thank you so much. Yes, I'm at a bar and we're drinking right now. So so game on. Cheers, everybody. Here you go. There we go. Now, oh, you're right. It is more fun. Kathy, Kathy's with me, and she said it's uh, it's a lot more fun when we're uh, when we're drinking. So there we go. And this bar does not have my uh, my normal drink. So all right. So um, so uh, this guy, him, and I have uh, we've traveled all over the country and and just had a, a boatload of fun uh, meeting people and and going in and out of bars and whatnot. In fact, one of the first nights that uh, uh, I was out with him and I met his. His wonderful fiance, who at that point he was only on his third date with her, I proceeded to spill an entire beer all over the side of her while we were in Long Beach, California, on uh, what can only be described as a bender at that point. Um, but uh, we uh, kind of parted ways for a little while just through work and travel and being on the show and all that stuff. And uh, we've uh, recently reconnected over the last year. 
uh, to start working on a couple of things. We're doing two big projects together. One of them is uh, a project down in uh, Tampa, Florida, uh, in a little town called uh, Riverview and Brandon. So we're doing a huge 70,000-square-foot movie theater down there with a gastropub attached to it that's going to be really cool. And then uh, we're also doing a project right now in Indianapolis, uh, which is with some really, really cool guys um, that just have a set of balls, and they want to uh, they want to do something different and something bigger and better. And uh, Michael actually called me in on this project so that I can do the food. He's doing the uh, the renovation and uh, the whole bar. So I want you guys to uh, uh, put your, uh, I don't know, what are you going to do? Are you going to put your thumbs together so you can text somebody? Because you can't put your hands together on the radio or on a podcast. So um, put everything together and uh, welcome my good buddy, Mr. Michael Tips. We got my buddy out here. He's ready to rock and roll. We've been uh, traveling a lot together. We've been playing around the country a lot together. Uh, we have my good friend, Mr. Michael Tips, on the show with us tonight. So, Mr. Tips, what's going on? Thank you for having me, sir. Uh, it's, I, dude, anytime I have the opportunity, I love talking to you, as you know. Yeah, I, I love the opportunity to talk to you as well. This is one of those opportunities, isn't it? This is the, the opportunity that we've had so many times. Uh, we have uh, tried to schedule this for the last bunch of weeks. Uh, we finally got to it. Yeah, it's good. It's, it's very good with the new technology because it's so convenient that it's hard to schedule. Yes, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Well, we, but, dude, we travel a lot, man. Yes, we do. We travel a lot. So let's... Yeah. I'm kind of, kind of, I'm kind of feeling like an old man because we travel so much. I get back and I feel like we age like a year for every two weeks that we're gone. Oh my god, dude, I'm so tired. This, like this weekend alone just ripped me apart. And I got to fly again tomorrow. But I don't know if it's so much the work and the travel as much as it is the drinking that comes with this profession. Yeah, I, I don't know. If, are you allowed to admit that to the people on your show that you drink? That I drink? Yeah, no, I'm no stranger. I, mean, to I see stuff on Instagram and I see your social <laughs> handle all the time. It's like you with a burger and a pile of booze. Yes, and I love it. we I love uh, it. we, we uh, are no strangers. But but, dude, some of those trips that we've had recently were uh, they were epic. They're great. They're like, I mean, and the funny part is we're working. Yeah, the the cool thing for me is that's when I love working with you is is uh. You have an ability uh, to completely joke around and be a clown the entire time, but underneath all of it, you're an assassin. You're sizing up everything at every single moment. I got to make sure that we're on the same page. I got to make sure that we're covered. I like. Uh, well, well, let's do this. So, so what are, are you? Are you yawning right now, dude? I'm exhausted. Oh man, I'm exhausted. I did the Sun Wine Festival this past weekend. How was it? It's it's in reality it's probably one of my favorite chef weekends of the entire year. Tell me more. Well, who's interviewing who? Well, I just want to know. Uh, you know what it is? It's uh, there's a, there's about twenty five chefs that all get together up at, at Mohegan Sun in Connecticut, and we do a huge uh, dinner the night before, which Jasper White, who owns the Summer Shack in Boston and also up in uh, in Uncasville and at the uh, Mohegan Sun. Uh, he throws a huge dinner for all of us. So it's like six or seven courses and it's just all the chefs are there and we're all just hanging out and talking and bullshitting and kind of ribbing each other. You know, you know what it's like. I mean, it's what we do all the well, time. But see, there's something you're saying about being a chef that does not require, you know, like obviously on, on Bar Rescue, I get a lot of, a lot of credit for being a great mixologist and that's because I've had great mentors. But the thing is you can do that sort of stuff with being a chef. Yeah. You can't do it in the mixology world because you guys are actually, even though chefs can be incredibly intense and at times arrogant. What they do requires so much focus and is so much pressure 
that mixologists simply do not have to deal with. So when every mixologist get together and they hang out and they have to try each other's drinks, they're just too snobby for it. Where you guys actually appreciate each other's work, you get what, what, it, what it takes to put into it. We sit back, oh, we invented a cocktail. That took 10 seconds. Yeah. And then we make it 15 seconds later. You guys actually have to think this stuff out. Yeah, that's that's true. why mixologists all secretly kind of hate each other. And you guys are, are kind of a lot of camaraderie. <laughs> it's, you know what? I, I like the way you put that. It's the truth. But but to give you guys credit as well, you guys are dealing with the guest, the customer, face to face. We're we've got a series of people that are going between us. I've got a server. I've got a manager. Before it actually gets to, I want to speak to the chef. You gotta you gotta you kind of gotta you gotta go through some other people. See, what's weird is I, I have recently. I would say recently, like as in the last two years, I have a lot of people who talk to me about the mixology thing, and they they're very surprised that I'm very anti mixology and very not anti mixology. I'm very anti snooty, and. And the mixology movement is so snooty because it doesn't require anything to reach that level. So when you're a psalm or you're a chef, it's really like rite of passage, right. you know, trial by fire. You don't just get to be call yourself a chef because you call yourself a chef. If you do and you're not one, you get exposed very quickly. Well, As a mixologist, it, 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 anyone's a mixologist, and many they learn a couple different tricks. Well, it, you know what's funny is it, it's so funny you're bringing this up because I have uh, for the last, I, I guess, like three years, I've really been working really hard with clients and interviewing and, and, and hiring chefs for their properties and whatnot. And, and the thing that I find is that every single person is a chef. <laughs> they're a line chef, you know, yeah. they're a fry chef, they're a grill chef They're a, And the term chef means head of the brigade. It's somebody who runs and leads a kitchen. In reality, the term chef isn't even just about who, how well you can cook. It's, it's about being the head of that brigade and running the kitchen. Um, but it's the same with you guys. I mean, you guys are getting everybody's a mixologist. Every single person is a mixologist now. Yeah. The one, the one thing that I find that the pendulum is hopefully going to swing back very soon to just back to being a great bartender who knows his shit or her shit is, is this one thing. A lot of the guys I talk to are doing incredible programs. But when you break down what the cost of the programs are, you say, okay, well, what did you cost that out? A lot of people in, that are civilians who aren't mixologists or bartenders don't know that mixologists don't make a lot of money. Mixologists are pretty broke because they're doing a drink that's $20 that takes 15 minutes to make, and they're still getting a $2 tip just like you would at a dive bar. Yeah. So this whole idea of it's very good to love the craft, but I still want to pay the electric bill, you yeah. know? Yeah. Um, and that's what people don't really get. <clears throat> and also, when you bring in mixologists as consultants, and obviously I could throw myself in that pot, um, you might want to think about what's profitable for the business. Yeah. So I've seen a lot of business owners come in and it's different with a chef, but with a mixologist, they come in and they do 14 ingredients and they get a special kind of cured basil from India that, <laughs> which is great. But at the end of the day, the drink costs 70% to make and the owner's business suffers and they can't keep the consistency. Well, and, and it's funny that you're saying that because I, I've noticed in the last bunch of years, I mean, think about just some of the bars that you and I have been to in the last six months, five months. The the really, really good ones with those great mixologists are the size of a closet. Yeah, and the people working there typically don't call themselves mixologists. They're no. so very humble, and they say, hey, I'm, I'm so glad you love that cocktail. Yes, exactly. Um, we're, we're, to me, that's, that's passion. That's when people love what they do, when it's not about titles, not about suspenders and mustache wax. <laughs> it's about making a great drink that's approachable. Now, where where were we? Where we had the, just that that one cocktail that that kid made, and he was a kid behind the bar, Indianapolis. 
That was Indy, yeah, with with uh, with Dave and uh, Ryan. Yeah, but but so and and the store the the bar itself was in between two storefronts. You had to like walk through a communal entrance way to get into it, and it was just yeah. a cool old bar. And the, the worst part about it is there was one dude in there when we walked in. Yeah, it was it was well, it was also negative fourteen degrees outside, and my, the alcohol pretty much dethawed my face. So, you know, <laughs> like, uh, Tony <laughs> brings us Tony brings us to the greatest locales. Yeah, uh, yeah. Let's let's mention Tony Knight, shall we? Yeah, Tony Knight is uh, Tony Knight is our buddy out of uh, Grand Rapids, Michigan. Who we have been doing some projects with, and uh, we're pretty excited about. I think. Yeah, he's gonna be opening his own spots pretty soon in Grand Rapids and, and making a real real push there. So I'm excited yeah. for him. Tony's got a lot on his head, on his shoulders. He's got a lot on his plate, and he uh, he really is, is excited to get back into the business. So maybe we'll have Tony on today. We should call Tony. We should call Tony. Uh, you know, one thing I, I'd like you to do, give me a public lashing, is I don't, I think I'm resistant to social media. I literally had this thought today. I got up and I, I, I made coffee and I realized I looked at my Instagram and I got like six pictures on there that I've taken or posted. And like, literally, I think it's six or eight pictures I posted. I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's the fact that <clears throat> like everything you put on there is good. You, everything is chef related. Everything is, um, Everything's something you're passionate about. I'm, I'm Hi, Nikki. Nice. Yeah, the, the, the fiance just got home. Hi. Hi, Nikki. Yeah, this is really good. Uh, I was like, honey, uh, Brian Duffy has me on his podcast. Please, I need to focus. <clears throat> yeah, I'm getting married in a month. Very happy about that. I know you are. I'm very, I'm very happy about it as well, dude. I'm stoked for you guys. She asked me, how about this? How about this? I want to make one really arrogant comment. So anyone who listens to your, your podcast goes, that's that goddamn Michael Tips, that arrogant prick. I, uh, she asked me, she's like, hey, we're talking about you know, what people should be wearing. And I said, I think every man relates to me. I was like, I think every woman at the wedding should be wearing black, like a funeral. Um, you know, I mean, I think it's not just for me, for any guy. It's, it's over. It's a wrap. You know what I mean? And it's they're never going to be available on the black market again. That's true. Well, but but. You're enhancing your life by adding somebody. Incredible, but I was talking about for those women out there I could never ever meet. What? No, you're not. Dying. She gives me the look, and I'm like, I was only kidding. Yeah. <laughs> Just joking, sweetie. Come here. Let me give you a kiss. Welcome home. Good to see you. There's dinner on the table. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm actually I'm I'm the chef. You're the chef. So so what do you what do you what did you make for your bride this evening? Uh, nothing. I, I I totally skipped out. I was like, I, I'd love to cook dinner, but I'm actually a, a very important podcast with Brian Duffy tonight. So, um, nice. you know, but no, but yeah, I, I actually love it. She'll, she'll get home really late at night and I'll, I'll do the, uh, you know, I'll do like the filet or I'll do like potatoes or gratin and bacon wrapped asparagus and very like steak and potatoes, you know, but I wouldn't call myself a chef. So what's, what, what is, what is your go-to? Is that your go-to filet asparagus and, uh, I like doing a lot of fish, potatoes. I like a lot of freshwater fish. Um, you know, nothing, nothing says chef like steamed vegetables. That's know? true. Yeah. That's I true. Mean, you use the word saute and I, you know, all of a sudden I move up from being a line cook to being a chef. <laughs> so. What, um, what is that? Now does Nikki cook at all? Uh, she makes the most bitchin' spam sandwich on the planet. Really? <clears throat> yeah. Of all time. Um, and I would say, yeah, no, it's pretty bitchin'. And an amazing tuna melt. Why? Now, hold on. Why spam? Are you fucking with me? Or does she yeah. actually make spam sandwiches? All right. So uh, she, she mentioned spam one time. And I said, it's the most disgusting thing in the world. It's the most unhealthy thing. And, and of course, that's only because I've had it like not cooked. 
So we're up, we're up at, my, at a cabin in New Mexico, and we just spam in there. And she's like, hey, let me cook it for us. And she fries it up, and it smelled like the most incredible thing I'd ever smelled in my life. And I'm the first one to admit when I'm wrong. So she made me this amazing spam sandwich with, like, you know, avocado and the whole thing. Sure. And I ate it. I realized I'm like, this is the greatest thing I've ever had in my life. If I die of a heart attack tomorrow, I'm fine. <laughs> you know, it was incredible. Well, the first can uh, expired, like, uh, seven or eight years ago. Yeah. It has, like, a 25-year, 30-year shelf life on it. Yeah, it was, all, it was for, for Hawaii during the war, right? Yeah, exactly. That's right. That's right. So, so what is what is first off? You started to talk about social media. So, why don't you tell us who you are on social media, so that for both of the people that are going to listen to this, which is really just me and Jerry, you can uh, we can follow you. Yeah, it's M Tipsy seventy eight. M Tipsy seventy eight. Is that how it works? It's at MTipsy78. Yeah, yeah, but we just get that. If you say Twitter, you don't even... That's like when we were just trying to explain what Twitter was. Right. Like, I'm like an elderly person with this stuff. And I'm like, but the at symbol means it's like an address, right? Yes, yeah. exactly. Exactly, um, yeah. I don't know what it is. Like, I've been I've been very fortunate in my life. Like, when I was young, and I, I recently got a text message from a really good friend of mine uh, showing me a picture of myself on a soap opera when I was young. <laughs> uh, and, uh, we're going to get and into I was, that. Yeah, I did One Life to Live when I was 20 years old, and then I was very fortunate to do Bar Rescue for a couple of years. So I've been able to get some some fun attention on television in little small increments, you know. And I guess that's why I don't want to have my own TV channel out of out of like off my phone, right? Uh, but I don't know if it's that because you've been on TV more than I have, and and you're so good about it. And you don't make it about you; you make it about someone you love. You make it about other people, like. And, and to me, that's the rule of thumb with not being a fucking idiot when, on on social media. And I hope we can curse on your podcast, but fuck but, yes. Yeah, but people, it's so obvious. You know, I never realized when I moved to L.A. I live in Los Angeles now. And I lived in New York for 10 years, too. You might know that. Right, and but like, you're from Miami. <laughs> but I'm from Miami. I'm yeah. a East Coast guy. Yeah. No, but I realized, I was like, you, know, you, you move to Los Angeles and New York, and you hear about all these managers. I'm sure you have a manager, right? Uh, have a manager. I, have, I have agents, yeah. Yeah, yeah, agents. Yeah, okay. I have agents. But, but no, but my brother's really, my one brother, Mike, is, is pretty much, I run anything business group. Okay. So entertainment. Okay, so I've, when you're younger, you're like, oh, you have to get an agent, you have to get a manager, and you you you, you demonize these people. Yeah. I think Middle America is like, oh, you know, every, the, the Jerry Maguire thing. And then when you with the birth of social media, I never wanted agents and managers more in my life yeah. to filtrate fucking idiots who think they're interesting. Like, like that's I, I, this is brutal. But I mean, th- I mean, in what world do we live in? Where somebody literally goes, look, I ate a ham sandwich in between second and third period. And they're not in high school, which I would get. Of course, right. we're all narcissistic in high school. But they're adults. They're like, oh, hashtag ham sandwich. Hashtag ham sandwich is life. Hashtag this. It's like it's something about nothing. Yeah. And you no. see this and it fucking pisses me off. Well, and You, I, know, you have someone's attention. That's why I see you more as a Twitter guy. Yeah. I Seriously. Yeah, I, because. I, you know, I see myself as a Twitter guy. Because, and in reality, I mean, and not a picture poster Twitter guy. I'm talking about a Twitter guy. Because, one, you're very intellectual. You have a very good that's, brain. That's a very, very nice compliment. It is. No, I, I love talking to you because your thought process is, and I love watching how you, you kind of work through things. It's it's very impressive to me. Whereas me, I'm very instantaneous. I'm very great. You know, I, I get things done fast, I, I uh, which is why I love Instagram. I mean, I love Instagram because I have something to show. You know, I have something food-wise or the crazy life that I lead. Like, you know, I took pictures this weekend and videos this weekend and all that stuff. But when I when it comes to Twitter, 
Twitter is very intellectual if you follow it the way in, in the way that I see it. And I think uh, that you would be awesome on there because you can have great conversations that way. You know what? I'm going to I'm going to do the Twitter thing. I have an account. I don't even remember what it is, mm. but I do it tonight. And maybe you maybe you can Twitter it out for me on Instagram. <laughs> OK, first off, it's called tweeting. So we'll go that way with it. Um, that's your first lesson. Hold on, I'm tipping. I mean, I'm uh, typing here. Michael tips Twitter. Yeah, I know I have an account. You do. And your account number, your account name is at Michael underscore tips. See? I'm I'm assuming. uh, No, dude, that's not you. This guy's not you. Yeah. There's no way. Or maybe that's me back when I was good looking. No, this is way before One Life to Live. (laughs) You know what's funny? Is uh, I, I I saw that when I saw myself, I couldn't believe how young I looked, like such a boy. I know, dude. How weird is that? Looking back at that stuff, we're 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 everything's right there in front of us. I was just talking about this now. Like I, I'm 38 now, and I had this conversation today with my buddy Mark. You know, Diaz, who's an amazing designer. You met him. Uh, we we were talking about being you know in our late 30s and and how you get you know you get to deal with things like the mortality of your parents, getting older, and and real life and starting your own family. But I would never in a million years want to be 26 again, 25. I mean, like, yeah, people go, oh, you know what? Like, youth is wasted on the young, they say. You know, but when I was 25, yeah, it's great. Burn, you burn carbs in your sleep. Yeah. You're in great shape. You jump out of bed after drinking all night. Life's awesome. Nothing yeah. can stop you. Yep. But but you're also kind of an idiot. <laughs> oh, my God, yeah. You know, anyone out there who's in their 20s listening to this, I'm not saying you're an idiot. I'm just saying I was an idiot. And you actually think you know something. And the truth is, you're just excited you're not a teenager anymore. Now, this doesn't apply to anyone who invented Facebook, okay? But I'm just saying, <laughs> I'm just saying, like, for the most part, it, it's such a delusional time period because you really believe, like, I'm an adult now. But in, in, in actual fact, you're just excited because you graduated from being a kid. Yeah. You know, no, I like that. And, and you still think it's about you. You know what I mean? And, you, and when you're in your 30s and your 40s, you go, wow, this was a really – you get really confident in what you know, but you also – you're really humble that you're a very, very small grain of sand in this universe. I think the best time is in your 30s. I, I know that sounds weird because when for me, I mean, I'm 45. I hit 45 and I was like, fuck. Like, wait a second. One, I'm kind of halfway there. You know, mm-hmm. two, the responsibility for what I have moving forward is something that is very, uh, it, it's frightening to me in a way. You know, I mean, it's something that does scare me. And I've got two daughters, man. I've got two girls that are going to be going to college. My oldest daughter's going to be 16. She wants to do a semester abroad right now. You know, and I'm like, am I really going to send my 16-year-old, 96-pound, four-foot-nine, you know, daughter redhead to Costa Rica for three months? That's kind of a fucked up thought, man. Does that make me a cool dad or, or am I going to be doing Taken Part 4? <laughs> Dude, I would totally do Taken. <laughs> I, and you know, why, it's so funny you even say that. You know, it's just so funny. Like, I just imagined you behind the line. You're slammed. You know, you've got 25 <laughs> tickets in front of you. And it goes, hey, Brian Duffy, it's a call. Something's wrong with your daughter. You know, you pick it up. And it's just like, you know, all of a sudden, it's just like, do you want their back? Yeah. You know, and that's all it is. And you're like, I have a very special set of skills. And you're like shopping. You're sharpening knives. <laughs> and you're, you're like juicing a lemon. <laughs> I will cut you in that. I will make you with uh, fold envelopes. And then I will put lemon juice all over your hand. Guy just goes, good luck. And then you hang up. That's it. That's it. And the next thing you know, I'm shooting up a, uh, a, a Arabians on a fucking boat in the middle of France. 
which makes you, sense. You have to be careful these days. If you say Arabians, then all of a sudden you're going to get you're going to get people on Twitter being like, "Well, but it, you know what? I was actually thinking more about the Arabian horse rather than the the human being. How fu- what a fucked up? What happened? Why did everybody become a pussy? Right. I hear the thing. Like the great Bill Burr says. You know, like even with stand-up comedy now, like they have to like after a show, Bill Burr will be able to get like one or two tweets about like something he said. Yeah. And he's like, it's comedy one and two. You don't have to fucking go to the show. No, I'm not broadcasting. I'm not broadcasting on PBS, dude. What I, uh, I I took a picture today. I was in uh, I was in the airport when I was flying out of uh, Connecticut, and and my my bartender was behind the bar, and she was very slow with what she did and and all that shit. She was on her phone. She was I at the. the picture. I saw it. Well, did you did you see the 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 slamming that I got from people for no, doing that? I saw it when you first posted it, and I was like, "Oh, that's great!" Dude, they ri- they ripped me apart on Facebook <clears throat> completely you- because you know if I had a set one guy, if I had a set of balls, I would have told her just to stop doing it. Well, and as I said to him, it's not my place. It's not my bar. You know, it's the owner's bar. It's not him. Not my bar. She's not my employee. My staff, when they walk into my place, we do a social media bid at the beginning of the shift. And then they put their phones into a basket, which is kept on the front line. You know, that, that's how we do it. So there's no temptation there for them to be on their phone the whole time. You know, I got so I'm going to take this back to the food and beverage thing. If you're cool with that, because we've talked about this a lot. And, and yeah. I wish we would have, you know, done it on the podcast prior. But <clears throat> for the record, you know, we've talked about this a bunch. And, and the first couple of seasons, I'd say, is in the first two of Bar Rescue. We're very real in this way. I'd say 95% real, 5%. But the reason it was real for anyone listening is because nobody nobody knew us from television yet. So when you walk into someone's bar, whether it's for TV or not, and you say, hey, listen to me, I I can help your bar, I can do this, you get a lot of resistance. And I understand that because basically people saying, who the fuck are you? Sure. So we really had to prove it. We didn't get to go, oh, yeah, I'm on TV. That's why. We actually knew knew what we were doing. And then, of course, as the season, the show became a victim of its own success because – as people liked us on TV, you'd walk into their bar and they go, we love you. Do whatever you want. Right. And there's no conflict. So then the TV producers step in. So I think me and you handled it really, really you know, gracefully and with integrity that we, we took off of the show when we felt like it was getting fake. Yeah. But, uh, and not to slam anybody else who stayed on it. But I will say this. A lot of times you go into bars going back to your, your picture with a girl texting and one, you have tact. You don't walk into someone else's business and go, I, for some reason, have the right to tell the employees what to do. And people feel like you should because you're on a fucking reality show. You know, the, the truth is, is that whenever we've done things professionally as consultants before or after or during Bar Rescue, it has to be result oriented. Nobody yes. listens to me. Nobody listens to me unless I can go, yeah, I help this bar. I help that bar. And I help this bar. And here are the numbers to prove it. Sure. You know, and then people listen to you. But I just think it's funny how part of it, obviously, if you weren't on Bar Rescue and you weren't doing TV daily shows on the news and you weren't doing, you know, good PR stuff, people wouldn't, they would, they would call you a pompous prick for that. But because you're Brian Buffy, who's a pretty respected chef in the business, pretty being there's a lot of great chefs out there and most people know who you are. Yeah. You know, you're supposed to like slam a bartender and go get off this, you know, and, and me, you and John Taffer jump out of a helicopter. Right. You know, like, it's unbelievable, you know, so. What's really amazing is, is that the GM, the GM, the bar manager, and the owner of the business didn't notice it. No. Well, there yeah. was there were there was a lot that there was a lot that went into to me even even taking that picture from the first glass of water that I got that the water tasted musty, and I had asked the bartender I said, "Hey, can you do me a favor? Can I get a glass of water without ice?" Because I just assumed they had a dirty ice machine. 
she brings me over a glass of water with with just ice or with just water in it and uh and it was still musty and and i waited a couple of minutes and i kind of hemmed and hauled but i had gotten my sandwich at that point and i was getting a little bit thirsty i didn't want to drink the shitty water and uh she came back over and i said hey is it possible for me to get a glass of iced tea instead and she you know immediately why and i i said to be honest with you your water tastes very musty. It seems like you may need to have your water filter changed. And she kind of looked at me with a little bit of an attitude, nothing major. And she said, well, you know, we have our lines cleaned every single week, which first off is complete bullshit. You have your beer lines cleaned every week because that's the law. You don't have your fucking soda and water lines cleaned every week. That's just bullshit. But, you know, so she didn't know. She was just making an excuse up. And don't get me wrong. She was very nice. She was very pleasant. But it just happened to be that I needed my bill. I had to get ready to go. And I had to sit there for an extra four or five minutes without having any interaction with somebody because of the fact that she was on her phone. So, so let, you know, let, let's, let's bring this back to the consulting thing. Because one of the things I find is obviously when I consult, I'm obviously on, on the show, I'm known as a mixologist, but I do all around consulting from concept to hospitality to front of house. And, you know, in the moment, people go, well, what's consulting? It's very easy to jump in there and tell people what they're supposed to do. But not give them the mentality of the how. Everything is lost in the how, not right. the why or the what. So in that moment, it's like, well, what, what should they have done differently? What could they have done? Could's a much better word than should. I always say stay away from should because it's always a shameful thing. And I say in that moment, it doesn't matter what you did or what you didn't do. Just be accountable. Yeah. Like be part of your business opposed to separating and saying the guest is already wrong for their, their water being musty. Right. And just say, I'm so sorry you experienced that. Exactly. What did you stand to gain by saying, well, you're probably wrong because we have our water filters done every week. Like it's bullshit. Just be accountable, which lets you know that the person above her didn't teach her that. Yeah. And you know exactly how their business runs by that one interaction. Yeah. Well, and I think that's one of the things that, that you and I and why I think you and I work so well together is because we <clears throat> first off, I'm not in there to put my name on something. Right. Don't get me wrong. It may be in the back and in the long run. Yeah, I'm proud if that that bar succeeds or if that restaurant succeeds. I'm very proud of that. But that's not the reason why I'm there. I'm there because I'm being hired to be there. And you and I think the same way in the fact that we're there to create an experience. You know, I, I you said something to me a couple of weeks ago when we were in Indianapolis, which I, I really liked. You, you had said it to the to the clients that we're dealing with right now, which is what is the you know everything has to have a purpose. There needs to be a purpose for everything. What is the purpose of having the back on a bar stool? What is the purpose of having a vault over there on the door? You know, what is the purpose of everything? And, and, and I keep thinking about that. And it's funny because I did. I brought that back into my own business because I always talk about exceeding expectations. And I always talk about the fact that we're in an entertainment industry. No matter what we're doing, this is the entertainment industry. People want to walk into our bars, into our restaurants, no matter what it is. And, and we want to do something to give them an experience. You know, whether it be a, a great experience of a phenomenal cocktail or a great experience of an amazing burger or French fries, whatever it is, we're there to create that. But but I, I liked how you said that, that what is the purpose? Why are we doing that? So that's really just pretty much a kudos to you, because now I use that and I think about that all the time. What is the purpose of this? Why are we putting this in place? Yeah, I, I appreciate that. It's, it's a good way to keep myself humble when I walk into situations, too, because you have to kind of ask yourself. You know, to, to take it a step further is what do I what do, what do we as a company stand to gain by any choice we make, and what do we stand to lose? And it's always one or the other, typically to some degree. You know, as long as the guest doesn't suffer. Like I always tell people, like if your guest experience is your rule of thumb, is in the one thing that that is the barometer for every choice you make, it's very hard to lose. Example: when I have a bartender or someone underneath me say, "Hey, this guest was really upset," and blah 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 blah, and I 
I comped half of their dinner because they did X, Y, and Z, and it's very well thought out. I'm like, great. I love that. You know, like, how are, what are we doing? Like, I love it when someone has a problem at a bar or restaurant because it's a great opportunity for us to be on stage. Sure. Yeah. Every single time someone has a problem, you have such an amazing opportunity to really, really open their eyes to what a great experience they can have. And people always, they, they, they deter that. Like, they've already made a mistake, but they're not supposed to. We're a business. So if I go walk into any bar or restaurant or I own that bar or restaurant and someone didn't like the food or someone's upset because their drink took too long, great. That's an opportunity for me to walk up and create an interaction with that person that I never would have had. You know, and I teach my managers that I'm like, that's the point is that what a great opportunity. Someone's upset. Now you can blow them away opposed to being worried that they're upset. Well, I do. I, I've kind of gotten to a point. I'm, I'm, I'm actually, this is funny you're bringing this up because this is something that I'm talking to my managers about this week that, you know, I went to a table a couple of weeks ago in the restaurant. I've got a big, you know, we, we've talked about my place in Philly and stuff, the 8,000 square feet of space that we have. And, uh, and I walked over to somebody and I just walked up to the table and said, look, I, I can stand here and give you an excuse as to what happened. I'm going to come over and apologize to you for whatever the situation was. I think his burger was undercooked or overcooked. What exactly would you like me to do for you to make this better in your, in your mind? Because I can sit here and I can comp a burger off or I can give you a gift card or I can, I can, you know, have a server come over and blow you in the middle of the floor. But what exactly, and that's not going to happen, but, but what exactly is, what, 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 what do you want from me at this point? And you'd be, you'd be surprised how many people actually come back with, you know, I really just wanted somebody to know and I just wanted it to be recognized. They never come out and say, well, I want a free dinner or don't get me wrong. There are those assholes who say, hey, I really just want something for free. Um, but it's 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 amazing that when you actually speak to your guests, when you talk to them, when you interact with them face to face instead of, oh, here's my manager card, go and comp their check for them. When you're actually speaking to them, how human they become and how quickly the situation changes into benefit of just a very level playing field because you've just told them that you are, you know, that I'm not just going to give you shit. What exactly, what exactly do you want from me at this point? So, well, yeah, no, that's a big one. Big thing that I think that, you know, a lot of, a lot of people who love bars and restaurants, you know, they, and especially I got a lot of questions a lot because of, because of the consulting and they ask me a lot of questions about how I see the spaces when I walk in and does, does every space I walk into bother me? And I say, no, I just shut it off or I'm not going to have a good time. Yeah. Um, but I always say this, that people are forgetting, especially with millennials now and, and social media, that the point of going out, just like to, to tie into what you're saying, is that people, all we want in life is to be recognized from the day that we're born to the day that we die. What, it's what means the most to us. It's also why we go out and we pay $7 for a beer that we could get for a six pack or if we just wanted to stay home. It's not about money, clearly. Right. You know what I mean? We want people to recognize us. We want to be around other people. And, um, I, I've had the same situation where I've just walked up and said, you know what? There's no excuse. We just, uh, we screwed your food up yeah. and your, your time and money is worth more than that. Nice. Sorry. Yeah. Hey, I yeah, muted so- it when I sneezed. I muted it when I sneezed. Uh, but no, yeah. So, I mean, that's the thing is many of you tell people, listen, your time and your money is worth the world to me. Yeah. You and, and, and you and have you have to really treat other people's money like it's your own grandmother's. And then all of a sudden, I, I use that with managers a lot. You know, I literally say that I'm like, just imagine their money, the money they're spending was given to them by your grandmother. Yeah. You know, and then all of a sudden they go, oh, well, that's different because that's personal. I'm like, yeah, exactly. That's what it is. Yeah, it's exactly <laughs> what it is. It is personal. 
people ask me the same question, you know, how, how hard is it for you to go into a restaurant and sit down and eat? And I, I, I say the same thing. I mean, I have expectations. I have an expectation. And, and if I'm walking into Bob's bar and grill, my expectation is a lot less than if I'm walking into per se, you know, I mean, I have expectations for everything that I'm going to do, but my expectations are not super hard. I mean, if you say you've got hand cut French fries on the menu, I expect to see a hand cut French fry come out of the, out of the, you know, on my plate. If, uh, you know, if you're telling me you've got, you know, handmade cocktails behind the bar, I want to see handmade cocktails, not just some guy who's, you know, throwing stuff into a glass. I want to see something that's going to be that's going to be real and true. But I also believe in truth in advertising and truth in in menus and the whole nine yards. Don't tell me that I'm getting a free range chicken if you're just pulling something Tyson out of a out of a bag. Um, you know, we, we have uh, we I have a lot of rules when it comes to that, especially on my menus. So I try not well, to yeah, lie to people like. You know, I've, I've really, really avoided doing my own bar for a long time because I've been very fortunate that I've had a lot of opportunities. I've, I've been between like, you know, I do a lot of TV production. I own a production company and, um, you know, I, between my life's kind of split between food and beverage and hospitality and, and TV and movies, yeah. which is really good because it keeps me creative and, and busy all the time. But, but for the most part, you know, I, I'm just opening a bar in L.A. in about a month. And uh, it's amazing to me how many copycat bars there are, not not copying mine, but also how we've gotten away in bars. Taking, they take themselves very seriously. Like if you go to all these bars, another, I wouldn't even call them mixology bars. I would just say the typical gastropub, dark wood, copper, you know, everyone looking like sort of like 1930s gastropub mixology bar yeah. that all the burger joints are doing too. You know, it's, you know, it, it's, it's, I mean, so maybe some of the burger joints actually started it. But, you know, and they, they did a great job. But it's just one of those things where they just are very masculine. And there's nothing like I always joke and I say there's a rule with restaurants, bars and nightclubs and hotels. Hotels and restaurants are separate because you can have a great food program and have 100 guys in there eating dinner. Right. And it works because yeah. the menu is amazing. Sure. But with a nightclub or a bar, Brian Duffy cannot let you example. Brian Duffy has all the best bar knowledge, best bartenders, the most well-funded the best design right next to Michael Tips's bar that just says Tips is shitty tavern. Yeah. Right, right next to it. But mine is filled with women that feel very comfortable or empowered being there. I just blow you away every, every day of the week and twice on Sunday. Sure. And that's the rule of bars. And people are forgetting that, that women need to feel comfortable in bars and feel empowered in bars. And I don't mean you have to paint the walls pink. I just mean that needs to be inviting for a woman. Everything's like downtown LA right now. It's like library bar and seven grand and varnish and, you know, the Claxton, the Clifton, you know, all these really masculine places that are, they're not that fun. Right. Just like walking in and being like, yeah, well, and there's everyone has a little bar program and everyone has 78 craft beers. Yeah. You know, that people are doing tastings of and it's fine, but it's just not fun. Yeah. Like I want fun. I want like when we're just, we're in the middle of designing our bar and our concept. And I thought about August 14th, 1945, New York City, Japan uh, announces its surrender to, you know, for the war. And you, all those pictures we've seen where you have men and women kissing in the streets and in a time where women just didn't run up and kiss guys in the streets. Right. And I thought, what would it have been like to be in a bar in New York City on that day? That was fun. Yeah. That was, and I mean, joy. And I'm like, that's what I want. I wanted to have all the great stuff. Yeah, have a great drink, but you're supposed to have great drinks. Exactly. It's like, it's, a, it's the Chris Rock bit where it was just like, should I pay my taxes? Like, yeah. brag about it. Like, everyone pays their fucking taxes. <laughs> <laughs> And it's just like, it's the same thing. Well, we have an amazing cocktail program. We have a very respectable food program. Congratulations. Welcome to the race. Yeah. You're supposed to have that, you idiot. Absolutely. You know, now let's make it fun, make it approachable, make the guests feel empowered and smart instead of bragging about how much you know. You're supposed to know it. 
You're a mixologist. That's your job. You know? Yeah. It's like, imagine going to the dentist and the dentist sits down with you and he just brags about all he knows about cavities and how to work on teeth. And then the Um, hygienist walks in. Yeah. Yeah. What? And then the hygienist walks in to do his job. How much would you hate your dentist if you sat down and was like, you know how much I know? I went to medical school. That's what it's like with mixologists now. Dude, I know. They're making a drink. I deal with it every single day. I, 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 I mean, ask my staff. I talk about it all the time. We have one job. Okay. If I am a uh, a cab driver and I ask you to take me to 55th and 5th and you drop me off at 54th and 6th, I kind of suck as a cab driver. If I'm a surgeon and 50% of my patients die, I suck as a surgeon. If I'm a line cook and my burgers don't come out at the right temp, you kind of suck as a line cook. Um, it, it's it's We have a job that we have to do at that point. And in reality, you're being paid to do it to the best of your ability. And if you're not doing the job that well, then you should really just go away. It's it's not worth it. I mean, I have you know we have staff. I have I have clients right now that um we've been dealing with their staff, and they're fighting the changes. They're fighting the changes. So I finally sat everybody down, and I use this analogy all the time. If you work at Hooters, you wear the orange shorts. It's that simple. <laughs> there's no there's no there's no that you you know going in there what you're expected to do. You have to wear the shorts. That's it. I'm not showing up with a pair of black shorts on. I'm showing up in the orange shorts. So how hard is it and why is it so hard for owners of these bars to get their point across of what it is that they're looking for and to not have that backlash of everything that comes into it? You know, everybody fights about everything right now. We look right. across the world. Everybody, we have a president right now that everybody is, is picketing and they want to they kill him. They want to burn the White House down. They want to do all this stuff. By the way, the Secret Service is going to be here any minute because they heard me say that. But. I, I don't, you know, I'm, I'm all for protest. I, I, I think Trump's a great guy. I think he just really misunderstood. <laughs> yeah, exactly. yeah, he made he made a big yeah, move today. He made a big fucking dude. You know what's weird is going away, and and I really want to talk about this, but but going away and coming back and like being in a casino for the weekend where you're there and you have no idea what the fuck's going on in the rest of the world, dude. You really don't. I, I, I got on a plane today and like I pulled, flew into Philadelphia and I get off the plane and there's thousands of protesters around. I had absolutely no idea what was going on. Sometimes being yeah. on the road. Yeah, it, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a fun time. Um, yeah. You know, I uh, obviously everyone's talking about the stuff with, with, with Trump, but it's, it's one of those things where uh, I think, who was it? Was it Arnold? Maybe it was Bill Maher. I don't know. But they were just like, oh, it was Arnold Schwarzenegger. And he just went on and he tweeted and he said, listen, he was like, it's okay. It's okay that you guys, you know, wanted this guy and now you're all terrified. It's okay to submit you were wrong. Yeah, you know? <laughs> yeah exactly. There's no harm in that. Like, why, why? Just admit you were wrong. He's like, yeah. for all the thing, for all the, all the, all the critique that Obama got, can you imagine if two weeks after he was, he was brought in as president? That all that people were—he was just saying the things he was saying, and he was—he was doing all the things that everyone in Texas was worried about. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> like, like, it, it, like all the cliches. He didn't do anything. He came in there, was really quiet, and did the best he could. Yeah. You know. Yeah. But uh, I don't want to make it a political thing. I get it. But no. but uh, it, it is crazy that we're living in a time where our, our presidents are a reality star. Um, uh, I, look, look, I, and I don't want to get into this either. But I, but I do. Like, let's give him a shot. Let's see what he's coming up with. He's made 17 executive orders in the last couple of days. And and a post that I I was reading this morning 
was that if he continues on the path that he's on, by the time he's out of office, he will have made 3,456 or whatever it was uh, uh, executive orders. You know, I mean, and and he's 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 blowing through them. He's got 17 right now. Today was a big one or yesterday was a big one. It's pretty crazy, man. So um, let's uh, let's talk. I, I want to talk about some of your businesses, because I think that, uh, you know, a lot of people, a lot of people do. They know you from Bar Rescue and, and they know they don't know much about what else it is that you do. So what else do you do? Well, what a great question. Um, well, uh, let's see. <clears throat> I develop products. I obviously consult full time. Uh, I own a bar in downtown Los Angeles that uh, we'll be announcing very shortly on Twitter and Instagram. Really? Uh, yeah. You use and, a social uh, media outlet. That's awesome. Yeah, I'll probably do some sort of social media outlet so I can connect to mainstream America. And uh, that's going to be at the end of the month, which is a great project. Um, obviously, I have a couple of great projects with you. Um, on a TV production level, I, I do a lot of branding and, and commercial work for smaller companies that are trying to get, you know, media content that does not look like it was shot for a late night strip club. Um, and uh, I think what else? <clears throat> I'm developing bar tips, which is a, basically a bar kit, which has been done for a million years. Um, you know, every bartender, every bartender in the world has thought, I need a bar kit. You know, and ironically, even John Taffer just came out with one, you know. But what people end up doing is they always do this thing where it's like this super like high profile bartending kit that nobody would ever use in a real bar. Right. So it's always it's, it's for the consumer, the consumer, the right. ones that are going to buy it. Right. But even still, like you think about all those all those bar kits that, are, that you lose pieces and, you know, there's no program that really goes with it. So we've been developing bar tips as more of like a brand builder for yeah, it starts with a bar kit, but it really is a bar put in the line. And it's really to support the professional as well and the catering bartender and all those people. So. Um, right now we're making pushes to get in some of the major hotels so we can co-brand with them. Nice. And, uh, nice. we're, we're in the middle of, of, uh, pushing through to get it all in the mini bar service. Oh, that's cool. Well. Man. Nice. So, yeah, so, it's, so it's fun. So, but yeah, so I've been working on that for a couple of years now and that's been a lot of work. Um, been pretty great. What else? Do I got? I'm getting married in a month. Like I said earlier, that's yep. been a, a, a pretty amazing thing, but it's been a very, very humbling process because you think you know what that means. And then you go, Oh, I'm getting married and everything changes. Um, so, yeah, you know, that in the middle of everything has been pretty great. Yeah, but she's um, pretty awesome. She's, no, she's remarkable. She's, uh, she, she's awesome. Dude. I, I love, have a, oh, go ahead. I love, I love following her stuff. And, you know, I mean, we, we obviously the first time that her and I'd ever met was, was in Long Beach, that crazy Thanks. night that we all went out. Spill beer all over. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, that's what you're—that's what I was supposed to do—is spill beer on my butt. But for me, it worked out really well because it looked like we planned it because you spilled it all over her legs, and I was like, "Oh, let me get that for you." I got that. Let me just yeah. take my handkerchief out of my back pocket and wipe you off. Yeah, totally. Um, um, I never thought that would be my wife, um, which is pretty. Well, amazing. I think was that the first night that you guys had met, or the, within like a couple of weeks? Like second or third date. Yeah. Nice. You know, but it was it was awesome. But yeah, the one thing that I'll say, I talked about this earlier today with her. We had brunch and. You know, I was telling some of her friends that the one thing about about dating and, and finding the right woman is every guy's like, oh, she's the girl I met is beautiful. The girl I met is, you know, I love her. She's awesome. But the one thing you don't really hear a lot is how cool they are. Yeah. Because guys, guys typically are cool, right? But my girl is so incredibly cool. You know, like yeah. the other side of the pillow, man. She's fucking awesome. She you is. Know, she's, she's totally fun and she's just cool and she loves basketball and I love basketball and you know, we're just, just total, just total dorks, you know? So <laughs> we're both complete dorks. Um, we're both, we, we both, we talk about it all the time, but you know, you've met your soulmate or the person you want to spend your life with when you both feel like 
like the dorky 13 year olds that we all are yeah. that got the girl and that was 10 years older than you. <laughs> like, you know, like, all, you know what I mean? Like I'm, I'm the 13 year old Michael who's like staying up all late all night and, you know, reading comic books and doing drawings and re- watching old science fiction movies and no girl's ever going to like me. Well, she's the 20 year old's like, you're hot. Right. That's what it feels like when you, when you fall in love, you're like, this is the greatest thing ever. <laughs> you can be a total nerd and be yourself and, and really see each other for all your great attributes. That's good. I like that. I like that. Yeah, I'm so single. A, so. a heroin addict hurts our relationship. The, she's oh, a heroin addict? Yeah, a huge heroin addict. Oh, fuck. She's it's still real. active, though. That's the good thing. She's not going to quit. So right. I, it, it, she's very motivated. So is it, just, is it strictly between the toes or where no. is she really? Because you um, can't see. You know how many people out there deal with family members? They love being heroin addicts, and so we're making jokes about it. I know. That's bad. This is, this is like... You know, like back of house jokes. Well, I told. Well, here's a here's a great back of house. Did I, I told you what happened to my GM, right? Uh, you did. Yeah. But let's well, let's go. Yeah, I think we can't say any names. I think that would be really bad for your business. I would never ever mention one of the most Irish names that I know. So we're not going to mention that at all. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think there's a million Peter O'Malley's, so that's fine. Um, <laughs> Actually, I do know a Peter O'Malley. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I. It's, it's a horrible thing. So any any of you guys out there listening, if Brian gets off the flight. Uh, we're meeting in Florida on a job and he's like super stressed out. I'm like, what are you stressed about? And he's like, well, you know, my GM. And I'm like, what would happen? They didn't show up for their shift. He's like, no, they went to jail. Yeah. <laughs> he went to fucking jail. Yeah. So I had spent uh, a good bunch of weeks working with this guy. And, uh, uh, you know, I mean, it's a restaurant industry, man. It's, it's the restaurant industry. So there's, there's different personalities and all of that guy. This guy, he was very, he was very sensitive. It's one thing that I remember about him. And I remember my partners and I having a conversation talking about how we really had to be kind of careful the way that we spoke to him and and was this something that we needed to be concerned about moving forward um because he gets very upset and and he and i remember one of our calls he pulled up you know he fine but you, you guys just do what you want to do uh, and, and our response was okay cool we're going to because it's our fucking bar so you know don't get upset when we're making decisions and so long story short is we uh it was uh it was friends and family weekend and we had a crazy fucking weekend uh sunday night we got everything covered, set, ready to go. Monday, December 5th, we open, and I can't find my GM. I have no idea where he is. My partner called me and said, hey, the police were here today. So we, uh, you know, so I called him and texted him. He finally responded back to me. I said, hey, I just want to let you know the cops were here for you. And he said, yeah, I filed for custody of my daughter, and my ex-wife is really kind of riding me right now. And, you know, I had some issues with my ex-wife as well in the past. And, and when you're fighting custody, people do whatever they can to hold that custody. Can I, can I hold you for one, stop you for one second? Because yeah. it's really funny. You know, I had some issues with my ex-wife. I think everybody has an issue with their ex-wife, whether the ex. <laughs> yeah. you know, like, you're a woman, go, I had a lot of issues with my ex-husband. No, no dude, you know, I, I've, met, I've met a couple of people that get along really well with their exes. Like, I get, I get along unbelievably with my ex-girlfriend. Like you met Jill, we get along famously, man. I mean, we we still talk all the time. You know? Yeah, that's true. Jill's Jill's pretty amazing. That makes sense when the relationship doesn't work out, but the person does, doesn't make them not amazing. Yes. The one thing I, I the one thing I was talking ironically, I was talking to my dentist the other day. He, he's actually going through a divorce, uh, and he told me about this. And he said, "Yeah, you know, she wants all this money and blah blah blah." And I just said, "Well, let me ask you a question, Doc." I said, "Was she very different at the beginning? Was she the kind of chick who loved to work and like do her own thing, or?" She loved that you, you paid for everything. He's like, well, she liked that I paid for everything. I go, so how did you think that would change if things went bad? Yeah. <laughs> like, things always end the way they begin. If they, if they start super cool and there's like a great understanding and communication, they kind of end that way. Yeah. 
And and when they start all over the place and crazy and the person's crazy and you got to justify their behavior with nonsense, you know, then it always ends that way. That's the truth. And, and the thing is, is and they're, they're really just levels that you deal with throughout the relationship. Relationships do not make people saner. <laughs> you know I mean? like, so oh, she was fucking crazy. She was fit for a straitjacket when we met, but then she knows how much she loved me, and that made her men- mentally balanced. <laughs> All of you a know? sudden, yeah, exactly. We got married, and everything just changed over. It was perfect after that. Yeah, I, I was able to affect the levels of serotonin in her brain. You know, <laughs> like, no, you're not that powerful, buddy. We all have big egos, but come on. All right, um, so hold on. Let me go back. Let me go back. Let me go back. Yeah, sorry. sorry my sorry. ADD. Yeah, you know my ADD these days. Um, I, uh, so I can't, you know, I finally talked to him and I, and it makes a little sense. I said, well, what time are you coming in? He said, I'm going to be there about two 30. I said, all right, we'll see you at two 30. Now, now granted this is opening day. So, uh, two 30 rolls past three o'clock, three 30, four o'clock. My man walks through the front door. First conversation that we start to have is about a bank. Hey, did you get the bank taken care of? And he says, I texted you or I emailed you guys two weeks ago. Nobody replied. So now I'm thinking this guy's a bitch. So the next thing that happens is there was no liquor order placed for opening day. And he said, well, we didn't have a liquor license because anybody who knows Pennsylvania or any other places, you kind of get that license really at the last minute, especially if you're trying to open under on budget and all the other stuff. So we go through the night. I ended up having to fire a bartender that night who was stealing. I I put him in the situation. He walked away from the situation, couldn't handle the situation. And I was probably was was probably going to give him a notification as to, I was going to write him up. I remember that for that situation. So that night uh, we closed the restaurant and the next morning I get a phone call from my partner telling me that there were four sheriffs at his front door and that he was arrested with four or five bench warrants, a protection, a violation on a protection from abuse and a DUI out of Georgia. But the reason why this is all coming to is because after he got out of his 30 days that he did in jail, he then had a heroin overdose in his apartment, which was above the restaurant. So you never know who's putting shit in their arms. You know what? <clears throat> this is not to make light of it. I mean, did, did, make he, light of it. Alive? Did he pass away? Or? No, he did not. Oh, that's okay. Well, that's good. Yes. So. Uh, God bless him, and maybe he'll, he'll get in recovery. Hey, I, look, I, I really, I really liked the guy, and this was a, uh, this was a perfect job for him. It's a he great, it's a great, fucking... it's a great line though, Brian. Where it's this, I actually liked the guy a lot. It just, you know, he was a heroin addict. So. <laughs> um, no, here's here's the one. Okay, so right now there's like a, he's in the back seat of a squad car, and there's two cops in the front. They're going through all of his things, and they're asking him these questions. They're like, "Are you are you currently employed?" And he's like, "Yeah, I am." And and they're like and they literally stop and they go yeah sure you are pal yeah you know goes, no no I, I am employed I'm I'm, I'm a, I work at a restaurant and they go who the fuck would hire you and then you go Brian Duffy Brian the Duffy. cops go oh I get it <laughs> yeah Brian Duffy hired me <clears throat> oh, but you know it's it's a classic it's the classic tale I mean it couldn't have gotten any worse his references were awesome. His, uh, you know, everything, everything that his, uh, the only thing I didn't do was a background check on him. You know what? It's just funny you're bringing this up. I never told you this. So, um, cause everything's fresh and new here on the Brian Duffy podcast. Yeah, it so is. One of the things I want to tell you is, is that I recommended a GM. Basically I had to fire a GM. It was a consulting job and I had to bring a new guy in. And this guy was like straight lace, awesome, got hospitality on point, could follow through moment to moment management. I was like, I found a diamond in the rough. Yeah. And this guy's resume was good. He was passionate. His father was a police officer. My father's a retired police officer, kind of connected on that. And I'm like, this guy is salt of the earth, you know, great American. 
for the entire year, he was stealing from the venue and he was doing cash drops and he was taking it. He was taking like three, 400 bucks here and there. But over the course of the year, he put like 60, 70 grand away. Nice. And then he got, then he got caught once. And then literally he was running from the law where like he left, the cops were chasing him. There was bench warrants out for his arrest. And all like, who hired this guy? <laughs> Michael Tips. Tips. Yep. Michael uh, Tips. He, really, he knows how to read a personality well. Dude, it's, it, you know, it, I mean, it's amazing how how almost pathological these people are when, when, when you sit and you talk with them. I mean, he was, he, I, we had a great conversation. We really enjoyed it. There was one person who called me or texted me uh, leading up to it. And this was a guy who's just, he's an old drunk manager, you know, in the area. And he said, just be careful of him. He's, he's, you know, he's got some issues. And I was like, all right, whatever, dude, whatever. You're just drunk. You know I mean? He was always the drunk. So I, I didn't, I didn't take that advice. And it's funny enough that I should have taken that advice from him. But all right. So here's my question. Here's a question I got for you. One, why now are you opening a bar? What what was your deciding factor to do it now compared to six months ago, eight months, you know, three years ago, four years ago? Why now? I would say 70 percent passion, 30 percent disgust. Um, Disgust for the status quo of mediocrity. L.A. is a very different bar market. It's not like Philly or, or Boston or New York or Chicago or San Fran. These great bar cities. You know, or Boise, Idaho, which is amazing. Um, you always you know, talk most, about it. Yeah, most people don't know that Boise is an incredible, like, because it's Boise, Idaho. You wouldn't sure. think. You know, but Sun Valley's right there. It's incredible. And, you know, I think it became, I just it's gotten to a point where it's just such a mediocre experience. And the LA market is just so used to going, yeah, it was okay. And there's just not one place where anyone, everybody here is too, school, too cool for school. They don't take joy in serving another person. They, it's about looking like you don't care, you know, and, and looking cool and blah, blah, blah. And it's just not a, not a good, it just does not, it goes against the, all the principles of hospitality. So it got to a point where I was like, you know what? I just want to make a statement. It's not about having the coolest drinks or the best food or the, the most posh looking bar. It's about people walking in and going, you know, and leaving and just saying, I don't know what it is. I just fucking feel so good when I'm there Yes. that I want to come back. And I don't, I don't need to expose what I'm doing. I don't need credit or a pat on the back. I just want to make it about someone feeling wonderful Yeah. when they go in from the minute they get there to the minute they leave and every single person passes the baton and is accountable. Yeah. Not, Oh, it was great. The door guy was great. The GM was great. But the bar back, you know, bumped into me and knocked my drink over and, and looked at me with his fuck off look. Right. Like you dropped the ball. Yeah. You don't get to go. Oh, that was our bar back. Sorry. No, that's a guy I hired. He's part of my brand is part of my vision. Right. And it's just being, accountable in every facet of your business and putting a person's experience at the highest echelon. You know, so I got, I got to that point. I'm like, that's what I want to do. And that's all psychological. It is. It's like going back to the stealing thing, you know, or money. It's like, I've dealt with bartenders. And I obviously I've been, you know, I've been paid to invent ways to steal behind a bar. So they know how to track it. And, you know, it's at a point where I look at bartenders when I first walk in and say, you know, even though the owners, all owners freak out and assume they're being stolen, stolen from. And most of them are. Most bartenders are pretty honest people. And I always tell people, I said, listen, not to go super Dr. Phil on you, but whether you're in front of the house, back of the house, the owner himself or herself or a bartender and you're stealing, all you're really doing is making a statement to the world, the universe, whatever you believe in, that you're not really worthy of making that money on your own. On your own. You're, you're literally saying, I don't really believe I can make this money legitimately. So I have to steal it. Yeah. And that's fine. If that's really how you live your life <clears throat> and that's what you need to do to feel good about yourself, then keep doing it. Because <laughs> just not my bar. No, no. I would, I would say it's going to be great because one thing you're not is a professional thief. Right. 
So, you know, and it's going to be stapled to every, every resume you have. So if it's really worth it to you to have no integrity, no reputation, you know what? Take the hundred bucks tonight. It's yep. fine. Cause I don't need it as much as you do. Yeah. You know, and then they go, Oh, well, wait a second. That makes me reflect on my own self-worth. Ding, ding, ding. What do we have for him, Johnny? <laughs> <laughs> Look at that. Some self-awareness. You've some got self-awareness today. Wait a minute. So <laughs> life's only about what I put into it. And when I put good stuff, then I get good stuff out of it. Wow. I like this business. <laughs> it's a, it's, I'm amazed at, at the, the entitlement that, uh, that, and we, and we keep hearing it. We keep talking about it, about the way that people are raised and everything else. But it's, you know, I mean, I'm amazed at, at some of the entitlement that some of the people that I walk into, whether it's LA, whether it's New York, whether it's Philadelphia, whether it's fucking Rockford, Illinois, you know, people just want to do their own thing. They don't, you know, they, they don't really want to work. They don't want to do it. I had a guy who walked out in the middle of a wedding the other night. We had a, we had a wedding rehearsal for reception in the restaurant. And he just looked around and he, yeah, I don't want to do this kind of food. And that was it. He was done. Just turned up, just walked off the line and that was it. But then he was pissed off that his check wasn't there on Monday morning when he was coming in to get it. So, sure. I mean, it's. You know, yeah, see, mo and most of the time, I would say that your, your situation is kind of an anomaly because most people don't get to have people with your background and your experience and your passion as with the owner. You know, I think most of it gets lost in translation. And like example, I just kind of, I'm very fortunate and blessed. I just found my Tom Brady to, to run my bar with me. Yeah. Uh, I have a great partner and obviously we have a couple different businesses together, but, um, but I know it takes appointment, whether it's GM, bar manager. And I was very fortunate that I found a guy in LA who's basically a New York guy who's a transplant, which is typical here. And the minute I saw him, I was like, dude, please, I would be blessed to have you work with me. And he was so flattered that I thought that of him. And I think that's part of that building that culture thing is making your employees feel cherished versus making them feel glad they have a job. Yeah. You know what I mean? <clears throat> and it's like, I know you're always great about that stuff because you're always very passionate, always very complimentative of people and their efforts and their, and their, their work ethic, you know, but, but for me, I'm like, dude, this guy, I'm like, Oh my God, I'm so lucky to have you diamond in the rough. The guy's so passionate. Yeah. No, nothing gets past him. You know, if someone doesn't have a coaster under the drink, it's bothering him. Yeah. You know, because they deserve to have a coaster under their drink. I mean, like he's out of his mind in the best way. Yeah. And, He's so not an average person. So you start realizing that when you find people like that and they're rare, you know, and I asked him, I said, so why, what, what drives your engine? He said, if I'm going to serve people that I need to serve them, not just give them something. Right. You know? And I was just like, wow. And I, and I, I asked a, another buddy of mine who's same thing. Like this is obviously goes to people listening who are in the industry and how to stay motivated. Cause he said, I said, I don't get it. Like you've been doing this for 25 years. He's still bartending. He doesn't want to manage. He doesn't want to own. And he loves bartending, which I love that he's not like, oh, still bartending. You know, he's just very passionate. And I said to him, I'm like, how do you stay so motivated moment to moment without getting a little jaded in this business? The times you don't get the tips, people don't appreciate you. And he said, because my whole life, I have to worry about me. When I'm here for eight hours, I get to take care of other people and not focus on myself. Wow. And there's, there's a freedom, a cathartic, a cathartic freedom in that, that for eight hours, I just get to make people feel good and I don't have to worry about my problems. Yeah. You know, and I'm like, that's pretty therapeutic, a cool way of looking at it to, 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 to stay motivated opposed to getting there and saying, well, you know, how much am I going to make tonight? Yeah. Yeah. It's a different drive. It's a different drive that way, which is always good. And to all see. those people are being successful entrepreneurs, all of them, because they look at things differently. Yeah. My whole thing for my, my staff is, um, is to exceed the expectation. It's just that simple. These people are coming in, whether they know who I am or what I've done. 
or not. They're coming in expecting to get a great burger or get great fries or get a great pizza or whatever. And, and, and I mean, we, we, we take all the steps that, you know, the, the proper steps in the back of house. We're bringing in the best product that I can buy. You know, I've got a free range chicken wing for God's sakes, you know, because of the fact there's no can, uh, chemicals or antibiotics that are added into it because that's how I want to eat. That's the stuff that I feel passionate about. And I want my staff, you know, that we've got, we've got beers on the menu. Like you can buy a round of beers for the kitchen for two bucks. You can buy, you, you buy 10 beers for the kitchen. It costs you 20 bucks that you're adding onto your check just to say thank you to the kitchen. Um, and my guys, the, then the expectation of that for my staff is they've got to clap their hands and whistle and say thank you whenever that comes into the kitchen. It gives that person a sense of, of pride that they were the ones who evoked that, 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 that passion, that, that response from the kitchen. That's what I want to do. And I want my guests to leave knowing that they were appreciated. That's my whole thing. Thank them for coming in. Thank them for spending time with them. Put your business card on the table and talk to them. Get that coaster under that drink every single time. I'm not telling you that we've got to do fine dining service. Just anticipate what it is that your guest needs. Be educated about the menu and all of the beers that we have. And then just take that and put it to the table. It's that simple. You know what's funny? You know, I just kind of, you know, one of the things I've we're going to do this live because I've never actually pitched you an idea like this as, we're, as we're recording it. Um, so one of the things, you know, we, people always talk about in the industry is, well, if everybody was a waiter for one year of their life or if everybody was a sous chef or a bartender for one year, we'd have a much better country because you, you realize all the different things that go into that and what it's like to serve other people and how they see you a certain way and all the different hierarchies in America, blah, 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 or the world. Wouldn't it be awesome if we reached out to politicians and created a citizen's bar restaurant academy that was a condensed like once or twice a week thing that you brought people in who are politicians or police officers yeah. or people that literally come in and go, I'm going to learn what it's like to bartend for one night. I have to make a decision about whether I should serve someone or not. I'm going to be behind the line and learn what it is just to run expo for an hour. Yeah. And you make it, you make it a fun thing, but you know, I'm stealing this from my father because my father was a, a police officer in the Miami Dade police department for 40 years. And he started the citizens police Academy. And he said, you know, it was an amazing thing. A lot of other departments came and followed him after, but he did the very first one. And he said, you know, it was amazing when you took a politician or a plumber or a bartender and you put them through basically condensed once a week fun, not obviously as intense as police training. Of course. You took them through the simulators. You took them through ride-alongs. You took them through someone's getting out of a car in a video game and you have a quarter of a second to decide whether they're reaching for their wallet or a gun. Yeah. And all of a sudden they start realizing how human police officers are. I expect them to be more than that. It could work really well in our industry. If we did it even as a, a weekend seminar, yeah. but all of a sudden, it, so were you really able to tie in the politicians to all the bars and restaurants that affect their economy and the value of their property? Because you don't ever, ever see, I've done jobs where I've had to deal with the mayors and police departments. You don't see bad bars and restaurants and, and really great towns. Yeah. And if anything, like something like you're doing right now, you're in a pretty controversial area, your restaurant. Very. It's got a, a lot of, a lot of mixed opinions about it. And you're putting in a really high quality place that's saying, this is a great area. And you as an entrepreneur are doing something incredibly American. Yeah. So, you know, you're, 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 you're trying to raise the value of the equity of everything around you, you know, and politicians like, hey, we want to, we want to change the housing. We want to change this. It's like, well, put bars and restaurants around that are really nice and reputable and you'll be amazed how much your economy changes. Absolutely. So I would love for a politician to walk in and see what it's like to bar back for a night. You know, yeah. and all simulated, of course, of course. Just, just so you can bring people together that really understand the value of bars and restaurants. You know what I mean? And, giving some guys some tax breaks as bars and restaurants as well, because the, the political outlook on them is, well, they serve alcohol, so they're bad. Right. Well, so does 7-Eleven. 
Yeah. I mean, now Wegmans and grocery stores all over around here now. What goes on in front of 7-Elevens in America? So let's put it, let's bring it to Congress. Let's make it happen. They're a little, they're a little bit busy right now. I don't think they're taking new ideas. Well, I think they are. That's the problem. Yeah. I think everybody's got a new idea. Everyone's going to come up to me and go, you know, it's a little, you know, a little, a little arrogant to be doing a bar restaurant thing right now in the middle of this in America. You're bringing this to politicians. I'm going to go, you seen our president? (laughs) Is it really that crazy that a guy from a fucking bar political work right now? What was the movie? What was the movie about the president and how everybody's became dumb? Was it uh, Dave? No, 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 no. There was an actual movie. Who's the guy? I can't even think of it now. He was the president. Everyone became dumb. He was. It was. I, I can't think of. Is it old? Is it new? Is it no, it's or? probably ten or fifteen years old. Well, there's um, the one Dave with Kevin Klein. No, that's not it. Like, hold on, I'm googling here. I'm googling. Give me a second. Idiocracy. What's it called? It's called Idiocracy. Please watch it. Idiocracy. Okay. Idiocracy. It's uh, 2006. The movie came out. It's an American uh, sci-fi comedy directed by Mike Judge, uh, starring Luke Wilson, Maya Rudolph, and Dax Shepard. The film tells the story. I've met Dax Shepard a couple times. He's the the big black guy, right? Dax Shepard. No, Dax Shepard is a white guy. Um, I should probably click on the very light blue. Writer, uh, producer, and director. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, I like him. I like him. Okay, now I know when who he is. When I, he's a really funny guy. When I first moved to L.A. Um, and I started working with production companies, a buddy of mine called me and said, hey, do you want to go help out for a day and, and you know, just, just help on set and help produce some stuff? And I'm basically PA, you know, but uh, I'm like, well, what is it? He's like, well, it's kind of an indie and there's like, there's no production or anything like that. I go, well, who's in it? He's like, Tom Arnold, Bradley Cooper, Dak Shepard, and the guy <laughs> who played Lex Luthor on Smallville. And they're all buddies. And I was just like, what are they doing? Like, it was called Brothers Justice. And... It was great. It did really well at Sundance. It was awesome. But it was really funny because I went out there and it was literally just me, one other guy, and the four of those dudes. And I'm going to get them sandwiches and we're all hanging out bullshitting. And, <laughs> and they're all just fantastic guys. Um, cool. You know, but yeah, but I remember just like hanging out with them, joking around and, and being like, yeah, this is LA. It's such a weird thing. You know, you're hanging out in a field like, with Tom Arnold where he's like, you know, we're like scarfing meatball subs and like joking around with Bradley Cooper. And it's, just, it's just hilarious. Bradley when Cooper, was this? Maybe like eight, nine years ago. Huh. Nice. You know? Um, yeah, and it's just really funny. But Well, so so this is uh, – the film tells the story of two people who take part in a top-secret military human hibernation experiment, only to awaken 500 years later in a dystopian society where advertising, commercialism, and cultural anti-intellectualism have run rampant and is devoid of intellectual curiosity and social responsibility. Uh, it, sounds, it sounds like the last season of Our Rescue. Oh, man. Well, I was going to hold off, dude. I was going to hold off for a little bit. I, 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 I'll be just going to, should we, I mean, we've been, we're, we're an hour and 10 minutes into this. Should we, should I bypass my other questions and go right into bar rescue? Why not? That's the only notoriety I have. <laughs> oh, dude, you were on one life to live. Yeah, I was big. I was a Buchanan. You so. were, what was your first it, name? I, Alan? They fired me and I'd love to talk about being fired on TV. Um, no, but when they, Al, Al Buchanan, Al Holden slash Buchanan, but right. when they fired me, they replaced me with a guy who looks more like you. So he was a short, fat guy. Well, I wasn't going to say that. No, I know, was, but you can't. He was, a, he was a healthy chef, but I would just say <laughs> that, it, that um, 
that he he literally you know you know it's bad when you get replaced by a guy who looks kind of like you. Yeah. They were like, we want nothing having to do with Michael yeah. Tips ever Tips again. Is gone. Yeah, they. I mean, you're in much better shape than that. But they pretty much replaced me with a younger guy, nice guy, good actor. But what was oh. your what was your what was the favorite what was the favorite uh, part from that, or what, what did you take away? Well, what was your favorite thing about doing that show? My, I'll tell you my favorite moment and my favorite thing about doing the show was uh, one that uh, soap operas are a job and they are the fast food industry of acting. Um, and they truly feel like a job. Um, it was very weird because it was before reality shows. It was 2000, 2001. So when you're on so it was weird to become instantly famous. I had friends at the time who were doing big movies who didn't get recognized because you look different in the movie. Where I was in people's living rooms every day looking exactly like me. So, you know, but I was 20 years old and it went right to my head like any right. other kid. You know, like I'm, I'm barbacking one week and the next week they're flying me for the for the Emmys, you know, <laughs> and uh, then I'm like, well, I must be really important. I'm on television. You know? That's right. Wait, hold on. Stop. Stop where you are. What did you just you just said that must be really important. What, what, what did you say a couple weeks ago when we were out? Uh, well, we said a lot. No, um, but you uh, uh, you're not important. You're also, valuable. Yeah, yeah you're, you're, you're valuable, but you're not important. You know, and if, if you're really if you're really awesome, you're valuable. Um, but yeah, that's that's one thing I think that happens. And I think ironically, not to go uh, to uh, Michael Tips as president, but I will say that one of the things that's really influenced me or made me think a lot, not influenced me, sorry, that made me really ponder the social media thing was the feeling that I got, which is very normal. Like people can criticize famous people all day, but every single person on their phone every day is striving for that on some level, even if it's subconscious. Yeah. We're trying to be recognized for doing something. and it's incredible. So when I think about like that experience of being a kid from Florida and then you're in New York and you're on TV every day and flight attendants are asking for your autograph, you actually feel important because you feel special, yes. you know? Yeah. And, and the best part of that whole equation was when I complained to my executive producer, like a year later, I'm like, ah, I'm not really happy. And they go, no problem. And they fired me. Um, I, I learned the lessons of being a grown up and not just keeping your mouth shut, yeah. you know? But the best part of that was the next three years of my life because all of a sudden Everybody, well, I was never rude to anyone on the way up, but way up to being on TV. But on the way down from that, people who saw me being really arrogant or not talking or being as open as I normally would be or feeling like I had an arrogance to me, all of a sudden I couldn't get a job yeah. as, a, as a host. You know, and I was having to work four jobs in New York as a bar back, as a, as a runner, as a waiter, as an expo, you know, at 22, which was epic for me because I ate humble pie for two or three years. Right. I saw what that was like. So that's why when Bar Rescue happened, I really appreciated people. Yeah. I really, people walked up to me and said, hey, you're that guy. And I'm like, dude, this is awesome. Because I realized that's a cool feeling you get when you recognize somebody and you've had an experience in sure. your living room. Oh, absolutely. You know, it's awesome. And I mean, I, and I thank God that it happened when I was a little bit older. But, um, but the point is, is that, that that's a weird thing. You start feeling like you're important when you're really not. Right. At all. You're just, I mean, if anything, I mean, I had a brush with mildly being well known, not fame. Right. You know, and, um, you know, I think it's I think I'm really grateful for that. But but I, that's what I see now. I just see all these people on social media going. They really could never have that experience. So they're creating it for themselves. Yeah. And it feels good when uh, 800 people like, you know, something that you did. It's crazy. You feel connected to people. And I think that's where at that time, I, I, I as much as I criticize it, I understand it. Yeah. But you want people to get it and go, OK, well, what if we what if we like here's here's you ready? Here we go. Here's my theory on it. And I would like everyone listening to this to ask themselves this and ask someone they know this. Every time you tweet something, Instagram something, or Facebook something, if I were to tell you that it's going to be on the cover of the New York Times, would you think about what you're going to fucking write? 
And everyone goes, oh, well, that's different. How? Because you don't value your own voice. Right. New York right. Times says you have value. So now you better think about what you say. Right. But if it's just me pontificating, who cares? Even if one person reads it and goes and kills themselves because you weren't careful about what you said or you were thoughtless. If you mean what you said, they do it. You can't control that. But but it's one of those weird things where you're like, if everything I tweeted or posted, I, I, I had to be reputable because my brand is reputable. Yeah. Would I post it? And you wouldn't because you feel like a fucking idiot. If, like the whole thing of online legacy. Think about this. So my children are going to look back, Brian, and they're going to look back and they're going to say, what did my dad post on social media for his whole life? Remember, me and you didn't have that. Nothing. Me, me and you have a picture of our grandfather in black and white in a photo album. Right. Right. Your grandchildren are going to look back and go, what, what did Grandpa Brian Who was write? my father. The social legacy, social media legacy. Yeah. And most people are going to look back and look at their mom. And go, wow, mom had some pretty amazing photos on Instagram that were 8,000 of her taking a picture of herself. Right. And being like, wow, I had an apple today. Hashtag diet. You know, like that's who their family was. That's what they chose for people to know who they were. So right. I'm not saying you can't fuck around and be an idiot and have fun. But every now and then just think, what if somebody of, of sustenance actually or importance actually saw what I was writing? Well, it's uh, my brother. My brother's uh, he's my brother's Buddhist. And I, I choose to speak to him a lot about a lot of things. And he said something to me a couple of weeks ago that was really very important and very poignant to me. And it was speak to benefit yourself and others. Incredible. It's just very straightforward. If you think about it, speak to benefit yourself and others. And then, um, you know, is what I'm saying going to benefit somebody or is it going to benefit me? I mean, that's a big, bold thing. And then I put, you know, the other day, like, Oh, Hey, I feel really bad for all the, uh, for all the, the bosses out there who had to deal with everybody calling out there in the protest today, that got me a lot of social media shit, just so you know. But um, but I try to think about that in life and, and, and with going forward and, and all the other stuff. But you had mentioned something about, you know, you try to be really nice to the people on your way up. And it's funny because, and you know, I mean, you you see it when we go out, people recognize you and people recognize me. And, and I love it. I love it. And, and and not because it boosts my ego. I love it because of their inner their reaction. Sure, their reaction. They're so happy to see you. I had a guy in the airport uh, uh, Friday after Friday morning when I was flying out, and he looked at me and he said, I, "I I I know who you are. I know what you do. I just have no idea what your name is. Can I take a picture with you?" And I was uh-huh. like, "Absolutely, dude." He was like, he was on my flight the whole nine yards. But later that night, I was standing around with a bunch of chefs and, and I was having a conversation and you know it, you know, somebody kind of walks up to you, they look at you, they stand there for a second. You can tell that they're a little uncomfortable. They really want to interrupt your conversation. And and the guy like just kind of interjected and just just like hopped into my conversation. And I said, you know what? I said, hold on for one second. I really have to finish this thought. And he turned and he looked at his girlfriend and he said, see, I told you he would be rude. And I stopped and I said, hold on. You just called me rude because I was in the middle of a conversation with somebody and you were interrupting me and the guy, Oh dude, I'm so sorry. I'm like, then the whole thing happens where, you know, he kisses my ass because he realized that he just made a shit little maneuver, but it's, and then something weird happened on November 8th. I'll never forget it. I was standing in line and, uh, and there was a discussion going on about who people voted for and what they did. And I had, I had made my, my, my vote public at that point. And this guy looks at me and he said, you're a fucking asshole. And I looked at him and said, you do realize this is real life. Like this isn't Facebook. Like I'm standing directly in front of you and you just blatantly called me a fucking asshole because of my belief. 
because of something that I, I chose to do today. That's my my right as an American. And you're going to call me a fucking asshole. And the guy's like, yeah, and now you're more of a fucking asshole. And like, that was just it. I mean, it's the whole world is, is turned into this weird thing. And I just went off on the tangent. Like, you know something? I appreciate your opinion. You're a great American. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Unbelievable. All right. So let's, uh, so let's do this. So let's have this conversation. Uh, what was your, uh, what, 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 you know, bar rescue? What are you thinking? What were you thinking? So, so how did you get, how did you get on the show? Let's do that. That's a great, great intro because it's very cool, actually. A very cool story. I had a really, really wonderful friend named Michael Abbott and Son DeGraff. They're both TV producers and uh, create content and movies. And both two very talented people. And it was Son's funny. awesome. I, I love Son. You know Son DeGraff? I do. She's yeah. wonderful. Incredible. Yeah. Very good friend of mine. And uh, I got a call out of nowhere from her that just says, I've worked on stuff with her and produced stuff. And, you know, and, and uh, just little, little small things here and there. But she calls me. She says, hey, do you still consult? I said, yeah, I consult all the time. Why? She's like, well, we're doing this bar show and we've already gone through like 50 or 60 mixologists and they're just all like really terrible for TV because they're really snooty and, and the network just hates them. And I was just like, what do you want from me? <laughs> she said, well, can, we, can, we, can we come film you while you consult and teach like bar basics? I said, yeah, do whatever you want. No problem. So I was just teaching like maybe a, a few people and they came and they filmed me and saw me being me joking around. And then uh, they said, hey, you know, John Taffer wants to meet you. And I said, well, I've met John once. I said this very briefly. And I honestly said, I didn't want to do the show. Um, I said, I didn't want to do it because at the time, Spike was a pretty racy network. Like, it was fine. But it was, you know, mud wrestling with chicks, topless and, and monster Thank trucks. You. you know, it's middle America, you know, badassery. And I was just like, eh, that's all right. I had a, built a very strong resume in food and beverage that I respected. And I didn't want to be tarred and feathered by my peers yeah. for doing a reality show. Yeah. And, um, I knew that, you know, you don't make that much money doing reality TV. And I was like, it's just not, not worth it. I'm, I'm not going to be set for life when I can't work at a bar or restaurant, you know, because um, I did a reality show. So I said, basically said, no, thanks. And then they said, no, we, they love you. And I was like, so I met with John and John kind of walked me through what he, he thought was great. I did think it was a great premise for a show. Um, it was very cool because no one had really done bars yet. No. And, um, you know, and I actually did the very first episode. We did it. We did it in a, the very first one they shot. It aired like number four. But Which it was. was uh, that? It was the Redondo Beach, the two sisters. Oh yeah, that's right. It was, uh, you know, I think it was it was a beach one and on the pier there. It was called Murphy's. Uh, no, Murphy's was a different one. Oh, uh, this one ended up being. Oh, wait, it was. It was an Irish pub. Was it, it was an Irish pub, and they changed it. Yeah, yeah. they changed it to like more of a beach feel, but it wasn't Murphy's anymore. Yeah, yeah. right. Um, why would you have an Irish pub on a, on a pier? Yeah, yeah, really, that makes but, a whole lot of sense. Yeah, oh, it was it was called like Crash Point or like a break point. Break That's point what it was. was the final. Yeah, 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 yeah. and uh, and it was really good and it was really intense. So it was almost I almost got a fight with one of the owners, like the boyfriend who like wanted to pick a fight. Yeah, with he was me. the guy with the dreadlocks, right? Didn't he have dreads? Yeah, yeah. And he tried to pick a fight with me, and of course they you know, they they filmed all that stuff, but um, but it was really intense and it was really cool, and uh, you know, it was it was really great. And I ended up doing six or seven of the episodes out of the first 10. Yeah. Uh, it was a, it was a real blessing because then all of a sudden, you know, the whole world kind of fell in love with bars all of a sudden. So but, that was the cool part of it. Did, so, but, and you and I never did an episode together. We never did. It would have been too much of a powerhouse. That would have been fucking crazy, dude. Yeah. Yeah. My, my theory was the show was always that I always, I felt at the beginning and I understand why, you know, may not be in John's best interest to do it, but I always felt like to have an oceans 11 team, for a, for a bar rescue thing would have been so much better because you have like your go-to couple of chefs, your go-to couple of bar guys, 
and you're and you're obviously you know you're you're Danny Ocean and Taffer, you know, yeah. kind of a thing. And it would have been great because the audience could have fallen in love with all those characters in the show over the course of the life of the show. Absolutely. You know, but, but it would have taken away from John Taffer. Yeah. You know, and so I, I get that. And if I was his manager, I'd probably tell him the same thing. You know, yeah. but um, but you know, so it is what it is. But yeah, but eventually it all went. To, eventually it all went to shit. Right. Because that's what happens in reality television. Yeah. And any show, for the most part, is a victim of its own success. Um, John has a very big personality. As anywhere everyone knows, and then in in real life, he's a lot more uh, chilled out. And, mm. and, you know, well, yeah, I disagree. Yeah, but. Okay, I'll I'll, re- I'll rephrase by chilled out. I'm not saying uh, thinks differently. Right. What I mean is, is that he may not scream as much, right, um, as he does on television. That's a little animated and overdone, so he can come off like a big shot. But sure, but 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 in a lot of ways, the show started to hurt my consulting because people start calling me saying, "Well, do you scream at people?" Oh, do this? dude. You know, yeah, and I, I just said, listen, the show, I started to become very un, like, not proud of it because there's no scenes I have really where I'm yelling at people, but um, you can't inspire change and do things by screaming at people. And I think, you know, um, it, it's, it just doesn't work, especially if you want to get paid because in real life, you have to get a paycheck for consulting. Right. So when you call someone a loser in front of their wife and tell them to get the fuck out of their own bar and you're a piece of shit, you're not getting paid. Right. But if you can dangle a $100,000 rebuild carrot in front of them, they'll take whatever abuse they can, they, they, you can throw at them. Uh-huh. Um, I think the one thing about the show that I really appreciate about Robert Irvine with Restaurant Impossible or you know Gordon Ramsay is that those guys, they have an over 50% success rate with the places they help. And I think over time with Bar Rescue, when I started seeing that, it was really tough because they were really just picking places that were going down and they were never going to make it. Yeah. I started... I started to really feel bad. I'm like, I, I can't do this. Well, I know I, I had clients in a couple different locations that, uh, that they had casting companies call them and ask them how they were doing. Are you guys failing? Are there any issues that wish you could change that you could change? I also had a realtor who once reached out to me and said that there was a casting company that was calling them and looking for bars and restaurants that were up for sale so that they could go in and try to save those and do the renovations and get all that stuff done ahead of time. So really it was that cherry picking, you know, they were trying to get that, that big thing. So, um, what, uh, what was your, what was your straw? Where was that? What was your straw? Uh, my straw was an episode where two things happened. One, uh, you know, John was screaming at one of the bartenders during one of the stress tests. And I want people out there to know that if you put me in another great bartender or you put, um, you know, Chef Duffy and some other great chef in the line and you slam them with a thousand people yeah. all at once and give them a new menu and no fail. training, everyone's going to be in the weeds. So the stress tests are for television because in real life you prepare for those and you also, you slowly let people in you seat them, you do staggered seating so you don't screw the bar or the experience of the guest. Right. So in the stress test is exactly what you would never do in a bar restaurant soft opening because you're automatically letting people get upset on purpose. You're going sure. to piss them off because you can't serve them appropriately. So having said that, basically a kid got slammed who could barely make a scotch and soda, bless his heart. He was a huge fan of uh, all of us. And he was just getting screamed at so much that he started crying behind the bar. Oh, man. I don't mean wailing behind the bar. He was, you know, he was a grown man, but his eyes welled up and he's looking at me and he was scared. A lot of pressure. The cameras are on you. And I looked at him and I said, listen to me. I said, you're a great guy. You're a great person. This is a bullshit reality television show. And we're just going to play the part. And when this is all over, what do you mean you were going to work together one-on-one? Yeah. You know, and he looked at me like he said, thank you under his breath. And we just went back into the thing, into the scene. 
and did that whole thing. And then afterwards, I'm out in the parking lot, which they call you know, doing an OTF, an on-the-fly interview, which you see in all reality shows. And they basically asked me to lie about him and to say that he was doing this or that wrong. And I said, but he wasn't. And they said, oh, well, can you say it for network? <laughs> and I said, and so I'm like, okay, so I literally on camera, I go, are the executive producers watching this right now? They said, uh, they checked their mind. Yeah, they're watching. I said, good. Watch me really closely. <laughs> I said, I am not a fucking actor. I'm a professional. Right. And I'm not going to lie so you guys can get good ratings and you can, do, you know, just completely deface people on national television. This is a good kid. If you want to hire an actor, go hire a fucking actor. Right. And that was that. And then ironically, they didn't call me back. That's so weird. But, uh, yeah. But it's got to a point where I was like, wow, you guys just, and this isn't like a, this isn't a, a reality show where it's, a, you know, American Ninja Warrior where people can just lose. Right. These are real people. And people, people, middle America watches the show and go, oh, that guy really is a loser because Tip said he was. Yeah. You know, and I'm like, no way. He's a good kid. But now, you know, it's like people are losing sleep over that. So and I also slammed, I kind of was a little mean to one of the producers. I told her, I, <laughs> I told her, I said, I'm really sorry your film career didn't work out. And now you have to lie on reality television. Don't fuck with me. Wow. You know, and that doesn't mean that people that produce reality are artists because there's a whole different world to that. But yeah. I just mean like when you ask anyone to lie, like don't expect me to like you. Yeah. You know, <clears throat> so that was it. That was the straw. That, that was, the, was the straw. Yeah. And, uh, it was, we, and we, we had a lot of, I mean, we were, we were on the road with him, you know I mean? We were on the road with the, with rescue tour, uh, with Kristen. That was very cool. Yeah. That was pretty cool. I enjoyed that. that was very, I really okay. enjoyed that. Cause that was when we just got to get up and talk to people. And I'm going to be speaking <laughs> at nightclub and bar. Uh, you are? March 20th, I believe, uh, I am. And, uh, this about a month and a half from now. Yeah. Uh, March, uh, 26, 27, 28 in uh, good old Las Vegas. It's the largest nightclub and bar show in the world and what will you be speaking about mr tips i'm going to be speaking about a lot of things that have nothing to do with mixology Good. more about psychological approach to bars how to manage them how to motivate your bartenders how to create concepts that are out of the box how to go grassroots with your marketing and stop relying on facebook and you know and bs uh you know ad campaigns and actually how to connect with people yeah um recognizing that you know your bartenders are your your chief marketers yeah um and it's also amazing. how to it, it, it shocks me how much we, how much uh, people don't use their staff in, in the right ways. You know, we sit around and we talk about upselling. We'd sit around and talk about raise your check average and do all of that. But we don't use our staff to the ability that they're really, because they're bill, they're walking billboards. They are the first and last line of defense in reality between your vision and the actual execution. Well, yeah, and that's the thing. I, that's one of the things I want to talk about. That I also want to talk about. You know, how to be more like I want to focus on more what we want to do versus what we don't want to do. Yeah, I think a lot of a lot of seminars that I've been to focus on all the things you shouldn't do. The to negatives to numbers, opposed to what do we want to create? Let's focus on what we want, opposed to what we don't want. Right. So, you know, I want to I want to focus a lot on uh, being more creative, being more creative with our names, with our cocktail menus, with our food menus, uh, with what what is our culture. And that's one of the things, how to build culture. Culture is so important. Um, yeah. On any business, a little on bars and restaurants. You know, I mean, I like, spent, I spent so much time, you know, I've, I've, my, my, my kitchen staff makes up the daily features every day and I, they send them to me in the morning and I kind of look through them and go through them. And, and, and my, my simple rule is they can get this down the street. They can get the same exact dish down the street. You've got to get a set of balls. Think right. outside the box. You know, do something yeah. that nobody else is doing. I can put a burger together just like anybody else can. 
But what are we doing to to wow the guests when they're coming in and go, wow, you know, I never thought of that or wow, that was prepared so well. You know, it comes down to that that execution that I always like to to think about. But but we need to create things that are really that are uh, intriguing to the guests. And I'm not talking about, oh, my God, I'm using, you know, all of a sudden I've got lizard toes that I'm that I'm shaving on a, a uh, you know, on a, uh, a, a microplane. I'm talking about let's do things that nobody else is doing. Why am I going to serve a pizza with ham and Swiss cheese on it and call it the Cordon Bleu pizza? Get a right. set of balls. Do something yeah. different. Think outside the yeah. box. Yeah, no, for sure. I think I think where people get people. Here's the thing I always notice. And I'm, I don't I don't know your experience for this, but I imagine it's probably pretty similar. Is that people get afraid that if you do something different, that you're going to lose people. Right. Like if you example, if I don't want to carry Grey Goose cotton candy. And what if somebody walks in and they want that? Oh my God. You know? No way. Dude, that's like one of the, that's in the top, what, thousand of vodkas being sold right now? Yeah. And it's like, that's the thing is I think people have a fear-based mentality that, if, that they're worried about losing somebody opposed to understanding how to recruit somebody. You know, and that's a very key thing with sales. It's very different when someone walks in and says, hey, I like Patron. And you say, you know what? We love Patron, but we stopped carrying it. We just wanted to carry a better product for our guests. And I'm not, right. Just an example. I'm not slamming Patron. But I'm just saying, there whatever there it is. There goes that sponsorship. I guess they're not going to sponsor by Patron XO. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's, that's the bigger point is that like, how do you, how, that's one thing I'm going to talk about too in the seminars, how to deliver your message. Dude, how long, how long is your seminar? Like three and a half, four hours? No, it's two weeks actually. Uh, <laughs> um, you got the extended program? Yeah. I, I remember. Yeah. Cause I was like, Oh, well, what's he going to talk about? Like, what's he not going to talk about? That's the key. Yeah. Um, no, I think it's like an hour. Do you, <laughs> so I got a lot to cover. Do you remember our uh, our first year in Vegas together? Yes, I do. Do you I remember, remember like, the bar tab? I don't remember the bar tab, but I do remember us having to drink like Malibu Red. Yeah, we, all, all fucking night. And and yeah. uh, and you and Taffer was with us. Yeah, and I would. I always told people, ask me what I thought about Red, and I said Malibu Red, and I said I would. I would only drink it if I was willing to take it as an enema. That's how horrible it is. Um, just, they, they just kept drinking. The There's another sponsorship. Bye-bye. Yeah, say goodbye <laughs> to that one. Um, it's uh, uh, Our bill was $24,000. And he and he and I remember like Taffer was like, all right, everybody, I'm out like and just rolled like right oh, before wow. the bill came. Oh, I wasn't there for that. Yeah, that was with our, that, that was our, our boys. Rick and uh, Rich were out with there with us. Wait a minute. That's How about that friendship? How fucking great is that friendship? And I got to reach out to those guys because I miss them a lot. We uh, met Rick, them. And, and Rick Steele? Yeah, like, we yeah. met them in Long Beach, dude. They yeah. walked up to us. And we're like, hey, we just think you guys are fun. And the next thing you know. So Rick Steele walked up to me and he said, hey, man. And meanwhile, of course, Rick is a very humble guy and very confident. You never yeah. know. He's a very, very successful entrepreneur as well as Rich. Yeah. And, you know, it's funny because he walks up to me and he says, hey, man, can I have a photo with you? And I was like, yeah, of course. And he's a just cool looking dude, you know? And he goes, yeah, you know, uh, my wife thinks you're cute because you have a shaved head. So I shaved my head. <laughs> and, and, but it wasn't like that creepy fan thing where you're right. like, that's kind of weird. He was so confident that you were like, this guy is so confident, likes himself so much that he would do that for his wife. Yeah. You know, because she thought some guy was cute, you yeah. know? And obviously that's why she married him. But he, so meanwhile, we shoot the picture together. And, uh, He's like, well, let's go get beers. And of course, I find out later he's like, you know, trains with Navy SEALs and is a you know yeah, phenomenal entrepreneur and just a, a complete brain and just an amazing person. Have you yeah, so have you read uh, the the post he did a couple of weeks ago about cold showers? No, ah, it was really good. 
It was real. I actually, I take, uh, I finish all of my showers now with, uh, with just cold water. Um, because I like a nice hot shower. Uh, it was really good. It was about kind of, kind of changing up your daily routine and, and starting your day off with something uncomfortable. So you have so much more to look forward through kind of for the rest of the day. It was a really nice post. Um, I, I'll, if I can find it, I'll send it to you, but it was really good. And, and I, I love the dynamic between him and him and, uh, Gene. I think it's just awesome, you know, with the, the date, your wife. And, um, it's something that I kind of look up to, uh, within those guys. So yeah, yeah big fans yeah, Regina, Regina's a badass. So, yeah, she is man. Uh, as well as Deanna, but, uh, yeah, you Deanna's. know, um, let's yeah, go to Phoenix. We got to check out the new house anyway. Let's go. Oh, his new, uh, his new fortress. The new, yeah, the eleven thousand square foot space. Yeah, exactly. The in- indoor football arena, sure. Yeah, we should go out and see them. Let's go. Let's take a weekend and go out. You know, you know it, amongst our in our downtime. No, I, I love that. Yeah, they're going to have people in Arizona are going to hear this podcast. Maybe four or five people there, <laughs> and and they're going to be like, "Oh my god, that's so cool!" On the podcast, they talked about coming to see Rick and and and, and Rich, and they're both going to be like, we're, "We're not hanging out with those guys." No, no, no. We're we're, we're too busy. <laughs> Rich has got Rich has got a newborn and uh, and Rick's got three kids and a, and a smoking hot wife, so he's not hanging out with us. It's not going to happen. Helping you out, Deanna. You're, you're smoking hot too. Yeah, totally, totally. She's, she's, she's in baby recovery mode. She's so. awesome. She's awesome. They're, they're, I, we we uh, Jill and I went to Jamaica with them. I know. I we had a great time. We had a great time that week. Um. So what? So what? Uh, uh we got this Indianapolis thing going on. Yeah, you know what? That's really funny. It's, I'm, I'm really looking forward to it because it's nice working with clients and they actually know what they're doing and they make a huge effort. It's really funny when you work with when you consult and you work with people, and they kind of expect you to do everything for them. And then you, when you find out and you tell them something, it doesn't get done, and you're like, "Well, of course you're having a problem with your business. You don't follow through. You don't follow through." And and, and, and uh, you know, Nally and and Dave are two clients there. They really get things done. Like yeah. I'll talk to them about something, and all of a sudden I get six emails or I get a Dude, phone the call. Bathroom. Yeah. The bathroom. Awesome. You know, it's funny yeah. you, were, you were talking about that before about you know women and, and making it more uh, woman friendly. And and I did a project in Cincinnati for the for Nick and Drew Lachey, and their wow. bathroom that they designed uh, is is kind of what Dave is modeling his bathrooms off at this point. They created an oasis inside of a bathroom. You know, they took a little bit of of a lot of space in reality, and they created uh, an oasis for women to go into in the middle of a sports bar. Um, and they really, you know, it's, it's, it's this beautiful red, uh, they've got a chaise lounge throughout the middle of it. There's a couple of mirrors in there. Each bathroom has its own individual stall. They did a really nice job. And, um, it was so great to see Dave take, uh, take the initiative on that. And he automatically changed one in one of the places, like change the bathroom around, change the lighting. You know, I told him what to buy the gels the other day and he automatically ordered them on Amazon. Like those are the guys that I love to work with. Now it's time for you to talk. Uh, no, I'm, I'm done. Um, <laughs> We've no, only no, been you, talking for an hour and a half. Yeah, I know. I guess, I guess that's good. Um, you'll, be able, you'll be able to edit this down, and it'll be like a 15-minute episode. It and is, be like, yeah. Dude, and you'll be like, well, a well, lot you're, of- You're way too powerful, and you have too much like you have too much presence, so we're just going to cut you down we're a lot so that I sound like I'm more intelligent. It works out really well. Oh, so we're going with the bar rescue setup. So we're going with the bar rescue setup. <laughs> exactly. Dude, you know what I, I loved? My favorite. Well, one, when he would, he would call me and yell at me about tweets. You can't fucking. What are you doing? You can't. You can't put that out there. You can't say that. They're not sponsors of the show. Shut it down. And I'm like, what? Or my favorite was, hey, I want you to be. Uh, I want you to be bad cop. I want to. Go, we're gonna go in there, and I want you to be kind of bad cop on this situation. And and 
the first time he did it to me, I, I was like, oh, well, I guess I heard him wrong. But then it happened about five or six times after. And he'd say, okay, I want you, you go in, you're going to be bad cop. I'm going to be the real nice guy. And we'd go in and the next thing you know, he just like starts screaming and just starts screaming. Then he comes out. He's like, you know, what happened? You weren't, uh, you should have been a little nicer. And I'm like, what the fuck? So confusing the whole process of, of, of how quickly he would change his plan. So, well, you know what, like I said, maybe, to, maybe we could potentially end on this as a, as a note, because it's like, it's obviously bar rescue stuff, but yeah. I think in the end, well, what are we really looking at here? As part of the reason I was actually excited about doing this podcast is legacy. It's all you're already left with in life. It's, uh, it's, it's, the, it's the part of your currency as a human being and part of your experience. So whether it's the way you talk to a bar back on that one job you did or a politician or how a police officer talks to someone they pull, pull over on the side of the road, you affect people. And I think like my friend David Foss is an amazing psalm. He, he runs a spot called Enfora in New York. He did an episode, a couple of episodes of Hotel Hell with Ramsey, with Gordon Ramsey. And he had such a different experience than I did on Bar Rescue. You know, where he talked about Gordon Ramsay really caring about the clients and really yeah. caring about how how they saw him to the point where he was, from what I understand, even taking money out of his own pocket to make sure a chef and a consultant stayed behind for a month yeah. after, after the show was over. And regardless of how intense he is on TV, he really cares. And that's what Dave told me. He's like, it was unbelievable working with him because he really cared. He followed, followed up with me, follows up with the production company. The guy was all heart. And apparently Steve Irvine is very similar. And wow. um you know, Robert, or yeah. Steve Ronzi, I'm sorry, I'm thinking about Crocodile Hunter. God bless yeah. him. And, um, He's dead. You know, yeah, I, I know. That's why I said God bless him. Yeah. So um, you're very sensitive. Um, he's no longer living. Um, God bless him. But um, no, but yeah, so I mean, I think that's really what it boils down to. And I think people ask me a lot of questions about Taffer. And honestly, walking away from the show, I think, what a huge missed opportunity. Because you you made so much money, and he has it. He, he was very, it was amazing that he created the show. You know how hard it is to get a TV show picked up? It's very difficult. And he created the show and he did so much work and he got a lot of great help. But in the end, you're left with being that weird looking guy who screamed at people and made him feel bad. Yeah. That's your, that's your legacy. Yeah. So you're not, you're not, you're, you're, who wants to be the richest guy in the cemetery? Yeah. You know, like people are going to look back and go, that guy was a fucking asshole. Everyone who worked with him goes, that guy's a fucking asshole. And maybe I know his wife loves him and she's a wonderful person. But yeah. the reality is, is that that's your legacy. The rich guy who hurt people. That sucks. What a missed opportunity. Like you had 10 seasons of television where you could have changed the world. Yes. By, I, by, it's not what you do, it's how you do it. And you could have inspired a generation of new bar owners and restaurants and entrepreneurs. But instead, you you wanted the, the limelight. You all of a sudden thought you were important because you were on TV. And you didn't realize that you weren't giving anything of value anymore. You weren't, you weren't giving anything of value. I, I always kind of put it down that, that we had an opportunity to do the trading spaces world where he could have been Ty Pennington and embraced the, the people that were on the show with him at that time and worked with them and really coddled them and shared that, shared that space where, which is, that's what Ty did. You know I mean? Ty, he's a great dude. And, and, and I've, I've met him a bunch of times. A friend of mine is very close with him and we've done a bunch of projects and um, I've tried to get Tom trying to get Ty on the show actually. Because there's an opportunity there, and, and and if you have these experts that the that the the public already loves and the public really feels great with, and you allow them to do their thing to so that the point that they can be themselves, and then everybody just meshes really well together, then you have the 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 potential for an awesome TV show, and a great group of people that work with you rather than yeah I did the show a couple of times and didn't enjoy it. You know?
you know, and that's what I'm hearing these days. So, but you know what? It's neither here nor there. We did the show. We loved it. We, uh, we learned from it. Very yeah, grateful for very the, grateful. For the I, I, I wouldn't I know you. If I didn't. What? I wouldn't know you if I hadn't done it. I know, dude. That's that's pretty funny. I remember sitting in 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 uh, Long Beach with you, and I remember sitting and talking, and I was like, I, "This guy's fucking awesome." Like, I really thought that because there was just we we got along really well, and we both kind of had the same ideas, and and I, I just I really enjoyed that. So, um, I, if for nothing else, I uh, you're right. It's because we got to meet each other. Yeah, it's awesome, man. Uh, here's a guy who not only, you know, has similar thoughts, great heart, very passionate, spills spills beer on my fiance's legs. I didn't you know, do that until much later that night. He gets it. <laughs> it was much later that night. All right, so everybody, do me a favor. This is Mr. Michael Tips. Yay! Hey, and uh, you can find him on Twitter as uh, at uh, M Tipsy. I forget. No, it's M Tipsy seventy eight is my Instagram. M- I don't know. Twitter is okay. Well, can you do me a favor and make your Twitter mtipsy78? And yes, you, yes, it's got to be the same thing. You got me I'll do it. very important. I will coach you along the ways. Um, but uh, and uh, yeah, so everybody say goodbye to Mr. Tips. Tips, thanks again, brother. I really appreciate it. And we'll talk to you later. All right, brother. Thanks, man. Well, there you go. That is uh, Mr. Michael Tips, uh, in his one hour and 41 minute glory. Uh, uh, he's a pretty awesome dude, and and uh, I, I know you guys are feeling it right now. And listening to him talk, he uh, he's got a great vision and a great brain, and uh, I'm really glad that I got to have him on. So I'm pretty stoked about that. Um, I don't know if you guys can tell uh, in the voice or, or any of that stuff, but uh, I had a, uh, a a pretty crazy weekend um, up at Mohegan Sun. So uh, I'm, my voice has been going in and out for the last couple of days because every year. Uh, I get to do this amazing event that's put on at the Mohegan Sun up in Uncasville, Connecticut, which is called the Sun Wine Festival. And uh, I've done it. This will be my fourth year. Um, and one of the greatest parts about it is not just the fact that you get to get up there and taste the wines and, and do all that stuff and hang out in a casino because they totally take care of you. Um, I mean, I'm talking like carte blanche across the board. Um, you're treated like a gold member every, every single place you go, um, whether it's into Jasper White's restaurant where I go. As soon as I get up there, um, I walk right in. I sit down. Uh, I order myself a big old glass of water and a plate of clam bellies. And I dig in and have my clam bellies. And then I get a very small crab cake and I'm super happy. But this year I got to go up and I got to have some fried smelts, um, which for anybody who doesn't know, it's a super small fish. It's super tasty, and uh, they're really good when they're just really quickly fried. So that was my meal as soon as I got there. And yes, I am drinking just to, to calm my nerves, I guess. I'm slightly nervous. Um, but uh, uh, when, we, when I finish that, I then go up to my room. I kind of get myself all settled. Because after this is when the night really starts to begin. Um, the text messages start coming through. Um, the uh, the phone calls, where are you? The uh, the constant ribbing of, you know, are you as fat as you are la- were last year? Or who's hanging out with you? Or whatever it is. Um, it's when all the chefs get together. And there's about 35 chefs that end up in this event. Um, and some, some really, really great guys. I mean, uh, from Jason Santos out of Boston and... Um, uh, Chris Coombs from Duav up in Boston to Kevin DeShane and um, Brian Ravelt and all those guys. Uh, they're just awesome to hang out with. And it's, it's just a lot of fun because it is one of those weekends where, um, as a chef, 
uh, it's it, it cre- it's that camaraderie. It's that fun. It's that, um, like I said, that ribbing and that digging and uh, and the fun. And, and it's, you know, a lot of booze and it's a lot of drinking and a lot of laughing. And then you wake up Sunday morning um, after being in the nightclub, uh, Avalon nightclub at Mohegan Sun. And uh, after dancing on couches to the point that I do the white man's overbite so much that my thighs burn. Um but uh, you wake up the next morning and you're slightly hungover and you get yourself a massage and then you go down and you hop into the kitchen. So it's a massive casino kitchen um, and there's just people everywhere you look and somebody's chopping and there's people burning themselves and opening and closing ovens and uh, the walk-in door is moving and there's like 70 or 80 people in this kitchen just moving all over the place. And you walk in and you drop your knives and you start having the conversations with the chefs and you start talking about the meals that you're going to prepare and um and it's kind of cool because it's not like when you're out at a bar and you're hanging out with guys. These are really professional guys. And it's not about the bragging. It's just kind of like, hey, this is what I'm doing. And you're really genuinely interested in what they have to say. So you listen to some of these guys. And, you know, I'm a pretty lackadaisical dude with the way that I do um, my food. I try to keep things pretty simple and kind of close to heart. And um, every dish that I try to put together has a little bit of me put into it, whether it be through history or a story or just a quick feeling or a thought. Um, so every year I go up there and I do uh, some form of grilled cheese and I do some form of soup because I love that stuff when I was a kid and when you're cooking for that many people uh, it's just kind of fun to, to put together so um, this year I did a uh, I did a Cubano grilled cheese with smoked ham and pulled pork um, with four different types of cheese. We do a goat cheese and a Swiss cheese, um, a little bit of an Asiago, and then we had a Fontina in there as well for that like really fun, stretchy pullness of it. Um, and then we had mustard and pickles and a little bit of relish and a little bit of my spice, and it all fits inside of these um, this beautiful, thick, uh, crusty uh, Texas toast. And then for this year's soup, I did a... Uh, what did I do? I did a uh, charred tomato, uh, caramelized onion, and a sweet corn chowder, which uh, I always love to do a chowder up there for the pure and simple fact that I'm in Connecticut. I'm in Connecticut, and I get to listen to people say, "Oh my God, your chowder is awesome!" And that makes me super happy if I can make somebody from Boston tell me that my chowder is awesome. So. Um, <laughs> Um, and then after that, we get to go back out again, and uh, we head back into the nightclub only. Now everybody's a little bit more tired, a little bit more reserved. Um, and then I wake up the next morning after passing out after a long, crazy night and a great day, and I get to hop into a stretch limo and sit back there all by my solo with sunglasses on and usually headphones and reflect the whole time about what a great weekend it was until I hop on a plane and fly back to Philadelphia. Um, so this is uh, kind of a really cool shout-out and thank you to everybody up at uh, Mohegan Sun for just an awesome weekend, and I can't wait to see you guys again next year for the Sun Wine Festival 2000. 2018. All right, here we are. We are at the uh, the Stein and Vine, uh, a great little gastro pub in Tampa, Florida. Um, and I am sitting with uh, a, a wonderful group of people, but one who I uh, hold kind of uh, dear to my heart. And her name is uh, Roller Girl. Hi. <laughs> or, uh, Kathy Suzwitz. Who uh, I met a couple years ago, and well, let's let's. How did we first meet? We met at the uh, Bacon Festival. 
About two years ago, you were doing a demonstration. What were you cooking that day? Do you remember? I was doing cacio pepe with bacon and shrimp, and it was 114 degrees out. It was in the middle of July, and it was very hot. Like the Tampa fairgrounds. We were out at the fairgrounds, yeah. Yes. And uh, and I had just gotten a tattoo the night before. You were out in Ybor City. Yep. I was in Ybor City, which is a great, great city. Yeah. Just it's fun to say. It is. It's great. I like it. So you got a tattoo the night before, mm-hmm. and you were cooking a delicious bacon dish that day. I was. And uh, I got my picture with you that day, I remember. I had that picture. I, yeah, mm-hmm. I tried some of that dish. It was delicious. Good. Yes. And But who was our introductory Monica, person? Introductory? Our good friend, Monica. Is it inter- introductory person? Our friend, Monica? Yes, our introductee <laughs> or our introductor. Monica was a huge fan of Bar Rescue. I liked Monica. I remember talking to her once on uh, on uh, one of the radio shows down here that yes. I called in for. WQIK. Okay. You were on. That yeah. would be the one. <laughs> yes, you I were like on the radio station. I was. The station I'm on. And then she... Uh, and then she brought you to the Bacon Festival. Mm-hmm. Right. Yes, I had never heard of you before. I'm but uh, I got invited that's to a why Bacon we got Festival. Along so well. And I was like, that's where I want to go on a beautiful Saturday afternoon. Oh, absolutely. And, it was like, and eat bacon in a in, we had in, bacon in hell. on a stick and we had oh. all kinds of bacon covered in chocolate. It was and so hot. It was really hot. Oh my god, it was horrible. So now but wait, you're in Florida now and it's January. Please don't <laughs> And I just have to tell people what you're wearing. You have on a short sleeve T shirt. Yes. With a uh, what, a North Face jacket. Yes. And a scarf. Well, but it's not even so much that <laughs> it's a North Face jacket, it's a North Face vest. A vest. So that my center my that my core yeah. in reality my my stomach. Well, this is winter in Florida. I mean it's, it's fucking 50, cold. 55 degrees. And it's cold. Yeah. It was forty one when I forty one when I got into when I left the hotel this morning. Yeah, forties, so, fifties—that's winter for us. Well, it's it's winter for me too. Only it was <laughs> nineteen when I left, so it was fucking winter when I left. Um, so we uh, so we met at the Bacon Festival, and then uh, the next time, and then there was like a Twitter thing, like we all. Well, we went to the strip club. That weekend too. I totally forgot. I totally forgot because we have our we have like every time we go to a bar we take a walk. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so we had a great we had a great weekend. That first weekend we met. What strip club was that? We were at Scores. At Scores. Okay, so so I've never been to a Scores before, and I walk in and and somehow. I, I ordered, like I think I got like a caprese salad. You got a, you got like a Caesar salad. Yeah. I mean, it's a strip club. I did. I got a yeah. Caesar salad, and everybody kept saying, "Oh, the food's awesome. You're gonna love it. It's amazing. The food here is." And I'm like, the "But she's look at her boobs." Right. right, right. But there's boobs. It's to like the a left. steakhouse strip club combination. Kind it of was place. good, and yeah. and the owner was there. Yeah, he was very nice, nice gentleman. I enjoyed talking to him, and we were outside, and we were talking. Mm-hmm. And the guy from Philly, do you remember the guy, like the redhead guy from like Northeast Philly? Yo, Duff, what are you doing? What <laughs> yes. the fuck? What are you doing out in Tampa, man? I'm from I'm from Philly. Like that's the normal. Yeah. And he he got involved. I've noticed that hanging out with you, you get recognized a lot. Like everywhere fun. we go. He was fun. It's fun though. It is, and I'm chewing ice in. To the microphone. Well, we're at a bar. So yeah. anyway, I wanted to talk to you. I recently went on a cruise, and I've cruised to some really beautiful places in the world. So I was in Alaska. I got to eat reindeer. I was in Aruba wow. recently, and we ate iguana. Okay. And we had an iguana soup, but they also make, like, deep-fried iguana and things like that. So what's the craziest thing you've ever cooked or had to make? So, or- uh, the, what, the craziest thing that I've ever had to cook was I was doing an event in Dallas, Texas, for the James Beard House and the NFL. 
and we held a promo in Philly. Well, first off, so the event was in Dallas. It was five Dallas chefs going against five Philly chefs for this whole event, like an Iron, Iron Chef-style competition. So the, the local radio station, Preston and Steve, decided they were going to do a contest and send two people to the last Monday night football game, and you're a sports person, mm-hmm. at Texas Stadium, which was known, from what I've heard, as the greatest Monday night football game in the history of Monday night football. It was unbelievable. Yeah. And I'm not a huge sports fan. Okay. But it was awesome. So the contest leading up to that was called Eat the Boys Balls. Yeah. So I had to make cow bull testicles. Okay. Rocky Mountain oysters aren't no, that? Isn't that what no, they call those? Those are lamb balls. Oh, I'm sorry, is, I got my balls this confused. Is, got your balls confused. <laughs> yes, these were like fucking bull balls. Bull balls. They were the size of a softball. Damn. And I had never cooked bull balls or balls of any <laughs> sort before. Um, so I, as I do, being slightly cerebral, I did a lot of research on them and found out a whole bunch about them, and I, uh, I ended up steeping the balls in Guinness and milk with agave nectar and cayenne pepper and a bunch of herbs and stuff, which may sound wonderful to a lot of things until you realize that it's still just a nut sack right. <laughs> that is getting dropped into a hot liquid. And imagine... As I slightly get uncomfortable in my chair, (laughs) what it must be like to have your balls dropped into a boiling sack of liquid or a boiling vessel of liquid, of hot liquid. So I make the balls and uh, the night before, and I did everything I was supposed to do. I soaked them and peeled them and cut them and did I didn't cut them, actually. I left them whole because what's the fun of eating a testicle? Yeah, yeah. Unless that shit still looks like a testicle. Right. So... Is the show getting funnier, Kathy? I told you it okay, would. You're right. I, I quit drinking this morning. And here's my wine. So the next morning I go into the show and I have, I have, I have the balls ready to go for uh, five teams of people. Yes, ma'am, please. Thank you. Just keep them coming. <laughs> 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 Should we tell everybody what happened? So we're, we're, we're at the Stein and Bind. And what is your name? Brittany. And her name is Brittany. Brittany's Thank a Brittany. wonderful server. She's a little bit of an ear problem. but <laughs> And we say that because Brittany, uh, I, Brittany said, I said, can I see a wine list? Because they don't have my normal goose and soda. And, uh, and she handed me the list and, and kind of cockily, in a way, it was good. I mean, it was like, like you're confident. We've got that. Walked away, and I said, "Oh, can I? I, I just, you know, I want to know about the glasses." Uh, oh, okay. And she came back with a pair of glasses, like as it. And, and I thought you were just being funny, like read the goddamn menu because there's a whole section that says glasses. I didn't realize you were actually going to Rite Aid and getting me like a number ten reading glass. <laughs> so, thank you, Brittany. So the next morning, I go into early morning radio to Preston and Steve, where there are uh, five teams of two people each, and they have to eat the balls. And the worst part about the whole thing was there was nowhere in the radio station for me to heat these balls up. Oh, no. So they had to eat cold, cold. bull balls 
in the morning. And then so the, the best part of this story being the weirdest thing that I've ever cooked yeah. was uh, when I go to the hotel and I get into the hotel after we check in for one of the most – you talked about my – I talked about my chef uh, weekend before. This was one of the craziest fucking weekends I've ever had in my life. But I'm going to get into that on another day. Okay. We're going to talk about the fact that the guy who won the contest was passed out on the floor in front of the elevator when I went back to the hotel that <laughs> night, like full-fledged, like beer bottle in his hand, laying on the floor in the dirty like carpet of the hotel. And that's my craziest thing I've ever cooked with a really fun story headed. Right I like it. that. That's Good. great. Good. So how much cooking do you do? I do very little cooking because I'm a single girl and I, I, you know, cooking for one is hard. I totally agree with you. So I would rather just eat out if I can. A so, lot but of the when time. you do have to cook, what is your go-to? Do you have like a go-to? Well, I I do breakfast usually because okay. I'm like at home during the day. So I usually do like an omelet or you know something like that. But I'm not a chef. I mean, do you I like might put things in your omelet. I do. I do like feta cheese and spinach and tomatoes and kind of a bit like Greek omelets and things like that. Do you put like gyro meat in? No. Who has gyro meat laying around their house? You do. Some people. <laughs> I do. I have it in the freezer. Yeah, well, you're a chef. That makes sense. I know. I have no, weird but, things so in So I also know that you do a lot of, like, um, not grilling, but, like... Smoking. Smoking. Yes. Yeah. So every time you smoke something, you usually post a video on Instagram. Yes. What is your favorite thing to smoke? <laughs> like, you do ribs, chicken, what, pork? Yes. I mean, what Those else? Those are all fun things to smoke. Yes. But you asked me what my favorite thing to smoke was. And uh, my one of, what do I like to that. smoke? You know what I love? I love to smoke... Um, Chickens, like whole chickens, whole, whole chickens. birds, okay. which I do as a spatchcock, which is a method of breaking the chicken down. Um, I love making my own sausages and smoking my own sausages right. uh, and any form of rib. You know, I, I'm really kind of touching on all the categories of meat. Um, I like to smoke pork and beef and okay. chicken. Not a lot of fish. No. I'd rather cure fish than smoke it. Because right. there's an art to curing. Not that there's not an art to smoking, but like I do a gravlax at the restaurant, which is uh, cured with Saint Germain and bullet bourbon and brown sugar and dill and my spice, and we cure it for five days, and that is my gravlax plate for brunch every week. Wow! Which I, I don't eat any of it. I was going to say, how do you like not it. eat the food that you cook all the time? I, well, because when you get at tired the of it, yeah. But I mean, every day. So my normal lunch when I go in to the restaurant, I walk in, I immediately go to the pantry station and I get a big, huge handful of like super crisp and super cold iceberg and super crisp and super cold romaine. And I put it in a bowl and I take uh, our shrimp. We get these crazy shrimp in that are all natural and totally clean. And there's no uh, sodium tripolyphosphate added into them. That which sounds is, horrible. It is. It's not good for you. Yeah. It's a pumped. Uh, it's a liquid basically that they pump into shrimp to make them bigger. Uh -huh. And it's loaded with chemicals. And it makes shrimp taste almost a little tinny when you go to taste them. These do not have that. So I put those in there. And then I have a Marie Rose dressing that's made with uh, duffified uh, beer that we have at the restaurant. Um, and then I take uh, 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 smoked brisket. And that's my salad every single day for lunch. Sounds great. It's good. It works out. It works What kind of beers do you have at the craft house? Do you actually brew your own beers at the restaurant? I, we do not brew our own beers. We have uh, – we – I license – uh, we license the name Flying Fish from Flying Fish Brewery in New Jersey. All right. So, but we have exclusive rights to all the beers or exclusivity to all the beers that they put out. So, like this, 
week or February 2nd will be, uh, so last week was, so what week are we on, <laughs> gentlemen? <laughs> we're recording this today, which is the 31st, but we're going to talk about this as if it's not. Can you believe what happened on the 4th of February? <laughs> Insert comments here. Speak intelligently about news that has yet to have happened. Right. That Super Bowl was awesome. Oh, my God. Well, this is the 4th. <laughs> oh, sorry. Hasn't happened yet. Hasn't happened yet. But let's... Okay, so what, the, what were we talking about? I don't, you were talking about your brewery. We can so we have out. So we have... Uh, I have 22 uh, taps on two different ones. So that's 44 lines, 44 taps. And then downstairs, I have an additional 16. Um, we have everything from a an, uh, an oatmeal stout to a chocolate stout to a Duffified ESB to a uh, Saison to... Uh, that's everything I like. They're all... The beers are really awesome. They're a lot of fun to cook with. They're super fresh because we get them direct from the brewery. Uh, February 2nd, we rolled out... Uh, a rosemary IPA, which was pretty good. It smelled like weed, mm -hmm. but it was pretty good. And then uh, February 9th, uh, and then and then the next rollout, we could probably edit that right there because I put a date in there. But And then the next beer we rolled out was a blueberry braggot, which is 15%. I love blueberry beer. 15%. 15%. Yep. Shit. You can so, have like one. I know. I know. <laughs> Maybe and they're two. Served, we're, we serve them in tulips. Because it's too much, so we have a firkin that we're going to be tapping the firkin on both, you know, of those days, and it's cool. They're really good guys, and they're local, so it works out well with the, with the style of food that I do. What's your favorite beer? My favorite beer is probably a cider. I've been drinking a lot of those tonight. Um, I do like saisons, though. I also any kind of just a light ale. I like beer, though. I mean, any kind of beer. They have something over here I was looking at earlier tonight. It was like a chocolate milk stout, like a porter so, stout. So that would, I, I'd feel like shit if I drank that all night. I know. Well, you probably do. But, you know. Yeah. <laughs> it's a good, for, good for one beer. I like that. So, so let's, I want to talk about your radio stuff. Because okay. I am a huge fan of your podcast. Yeah, I'm sorry Pants can't be On here tonight. Beach. He wanted to come out, but um, yeah. <laughs> Our On the Beach podcast we've been doing for a year and a half now, and um, it's we're trying to uh, do a show every week, <laughs> and we're trying. really we're really doing our best at it. But yeah, it's it's been a great show. We want to have you on it though, and we want to incorporate some of the the new people that You'll are. You need to talk to my producers. Yes, I know they're very important people. From I have to talk to <laughs> radioinfluence.com. Um, but yeah, we, uh, so Pants and I do a podcast. It's about life and entertainment and dating and, you know, just kind of the local topic of the week. That you guys kind of crack thing. me up. And I text you and tweet you while I'm listening to it. Because yeah. usually it's... You've I been listen. our biggest fan. Yeah, like besides really? my mom. It's you, my mom, <laughs> and Jerry P. Does mom tweet? <laughs> no. Oh. No. Does your mom use social media? I my mean, God, she loves Facebook. Really? Thinks it's the greatest thing ever. Well, my mom, she stalks a lot of people on Facebook. I know that, but she doesn't use Facebook so much. My brother and I had an argument on Facebook the other day, and my mother commented, stop it, you two. <laughs> like, I'm not even shitting you. Stop it, you two. She, and then yeah, if, yeah. like, we see it's, I, she loves it because it's a connection for her. She also has Snapchat. No. no. No, 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 I'm sorry. She has Instagram. So we tag her in, like, all the kids' pictures. Yeah, so she gets the photo. So she gets a photo. She, she's pretty funny. She's a cool chick. I bet. Yeah. You know, I don't let my mom get on Instagram or Twitter. I told her she could have Facebook and that was it because Twitter's mine. Like, that's but what they, I want I, to I think, have. Well, yes. Twitter is yeah. a whole different world. I have two Twitters, two Twitter handles. Oh, do you? I only talk. I, I, 
I think I, I have, only follow you on one. Yes, because you don't know who the other one is. And nobody oh. ever will know who the other one is. Why do you have that? Because I can say whatever the fuck I want. <laughs> and I don't get shit for it from everybody in the world. I know. It's... In, it's it's. I, I don't want to turn this into an angry thing, but I really wish everybody would just shut the fuck up. <laughs> I'm really tired of them. Do you want to get off of social media because of like the world today and politics done, and that kind of stuff? I, I'm done with my personal page on Facebook. Because mm. what everybody thinks is that I'm actually posting things that I truly believe in or care about. But in reality, I post things on my wall that I can go back to and read later. Yeah. So if it looks interesting in the picture, I might just share that. But it's not really my feelings. But people are so sensitive about every single thing that it's just not enjoyable. No. And everybody has a different opinion. And if you tweet or write one simple thing or comment about just your opinion on life, you're going to lose half your followers or your friends are going to respond to you in a very negative way. So what's the point of doing it? Just keep your opinions to yourself. What is the saying? Opinions are like assholes. Everybody's Everybody's got got one. one. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I, we had, uh, the other day, I guess I flew in Sunday and the airport was shut down when I flew in. And it was because there was a protest at Philadelphia Airport because we're a sanctuary city. And oh, everybody's protesting. Yes. Well, of course. But this do you want to protest tonight? No. Oh, okay. No, I don't. Okay. I think I want to do this, though. Cheers. <laughs> Cheers. I need another beer. You need beer. another beer. Brittany! 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 <laughs> Brittany! I wish I could carry this whole thing with me and go find Brittany. Brittany's our bartender who's not... We'll find- oh, oh, shit. Thank you. Nice. Brandon's the man. Okay, here we go again. Cheers. Cheers. Is everybody still drinking? You guys all good? All right. Okay. Come on, Brandon. Get on over here. It's a one-way street over here. (laughs) Join Um, us. So we had a... So they shut down Philadelphia Airport because they had blocked the streets going into it. And, uh, and, and it really kind of put a damper on the day. A lot of people couldn't fly out. They missed their flights and all the other stuff. Um, and I, I had posted that day Cheers. that uh, I said, I feel sorry for all of the business owners because of all of the protesters who called out today. Well, you would have thought that I took a shit on somebody's couch. They were offended. They were, it was horrible. Yeah. It was just horrible. You know what? And I really wasn't posting it about Trump. I didn't post it about anybody else. You know what? Whatever. Well, the show we, just got not funny. We have. I know. <laughs> just got not funny. Let's go back to talking about bowl balls. Bowl um. balls. <laughs> There's only so long you can talk about bowl balls before the before bowl balls just doesn't. Well, no, bowl balls yeah, is pretty bowl funny. Balls is it pretty funny. Pretty well. All right. So. So let's talk about the first night that we went out in Ebor. Oh my God! <laughs> you want to talk about that? And hit every. It was. It was. I. I, I don't know what it is. Like uh, it was a great night. So yeah. So the first time we met in Ebor, um, we decided to bar hop, yes. and we went to every single bar in Ebor that night on the main on the main drag on Seventh Avenue in Ebor. Yep. Yeah. So um, that was a then fun. Wasn't there like didn't like did we end up at like a like a nightclub or something? We made it a nightclub. It, well, there was that with that that grotto place or whatever the place with all the stickers yeah, on the walls. Grotto. Yeah, we but went to a, like before that. We went to so bar. many bars. I've grown up in Tampa my entire life. We went to bars I've never been to. I that mean, we went night. to every single bar we could find that night. Yeah, that was there a was really a lot. Fun night. That was a lot of laughing. That was a good night. I had fun. A lot of dancing. Yes. <laughs> and was I was Tony Papa Giorgio with us? Tony Papa Giorgio was with us. Tony Papa Giorgio. Who else? Monica was with us. Monica. Monica. Bulls, Bills, Bulls fan. Bulls fan. Monica. Bulls fan. Yeah. Bulls, Bulls fan. Bill. Monica. <laughs> it's Bills fan. Monica, everybody. 
It just slipped out that we said bowl balls. Um, and then uh, we ended up, the, the cool part was going to the, uh, uh, to the one bar where the chef's name was Captain Hook. Yes, that was at Gaspar's. He was, he's Gaspar's. never leaving that yeah. place. So you have to come to Tampa one year for Gasparilla. Which, which is I, I, the largest, one of the largest festivals in the world, in the, like, in the world, in the country. Um, but yeah, it's 300,000 people were recently here for a parade in downtown Tampa where they do a pirate invasion of Jose Gaspar, and that's where Gaspar's Grotto comes from. But um, yeah, it's an incredible time. But you have to come out and then like enjoy Are it. Are going to end this it? with this, sex in, this segment sponsored by? No. You're like blowing up Tampa right now. Well, like they're should. paying for the show. <laughs> That's where we You're like, live. And then the beautiful cities lit up across the skyline. It's glorious. <laughs> it is glorious. I love it down here. I love coming down here. I'm glad that I have uh, that I have uh, become friends with you. Yes. And with you, gentlemen, and uh, shady lady sitting over there. I got no idea who you are. Can't remember your name, but you're laughing it up. You're ca- <laughs> you're just laughing it up. You have a 16 year old son. What is your name? Irma. 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 This is radio, and we're not giving you a microphone, so this will be cut. But it was good talking to you, Irma. <laughs> Thanks for hanging out. Are you not drinking anymore, Irma? Okay. I'm always Oh, she's always drinking. So, Oh, my Lord. So hopefully next time we can get pants on, because I would really enjoy meeting him. Yeah, he's all right. Just, he's just all right? <laughs> he's all right. The whole thing about him trying to date the chicken Philly was yeah. pretty funny, because like, you guys are, we're coming up to Philly, and we're going to go to a, an Eagles game. And I'm like, great. We're not coming. That didn't happen. <laughs> We're not coming. When you meet somebody on Twitter that's a thousand miles away, or, or on Tinder no. that's a thousand miles away, they met in a cab. First off, if you have a they Tinder profile that you're looking for somebody a thousand miles away, there's a problem. They met in a cab because he was her driver. Oh. So I told him I was like, it's kind of weird to date your cab driver. Like nobody does that. They don't. They really <laughs> who don't. dates your cab no. driver? So I said, I don't think this is going to work out. And I'm, you know. But he really, really liked her. So he <laughs> wanted to make it work. So, so he, he wanted to go to Philadelphia and see her. Unfortunately. Like a exchange program. <laughs> Unfortunately. Just joking, pants. It didn't work out. <laughs> I love your stories about Cabian. I think it's awesome. So. Yeah. Are no, wrap up the show. All right. Are there any other any other radioinfluence.com shows we need to plug? Do we have somebody else in the background? No, we have all kinds of fun people joining I Radio do. Influence. I know. I have to do another podcast the, uh, like tomorrow morning. For who? Someone else? No shit. Super <laughs> secret. I got Super it. All secret. right, so we're gonna end it on that because uh, she's podcast cheating. Um, <laughs> but uh, Kathy, thank you so much. It's always fun to see you. I appreciate it. You're welcome. I'm glad we get to hang out. Absolutely. I'm glad you're my friend. Of course. I'm not real happy I made you drink, but it works. But you like white wine? I do. Cheers. You're like a sixty-year-old woman. Wow, that's so fucked up. When Kathy's done making fun of me, I'm really hoping that you guys are gonna hop on and go to iTunes and Stitcher and RadioInfluence.com. Goodbye. Didn't get Duffified enough? Follow Chef Brian Duffy on Facebook and on Twitter at Chef B-R-I-D-U-F-F. Look for the blue verified checkmark to get exclusive content and to see what's coming up on next week's show. This has been Duffified Live with Chef Brian Duffy on Radio Influence. Hey guys and gals, this is Ian Beckles. You may know me from my nine seasons in the NFL or from listening to me in sports radio for years. But now you get to see and hear the real me, uncensored me and also unfiltered as well on my new podcast, Ian Beckles, Flavoring Your Ear. What's flavoring your ear? I'll tell you what it is. It's a whole lot of fun. Food, fashion, sports, sex, politics, and my personal adventures as well. And a whole lot more food. 
Make sure to check out Ian Beckles Flavoring Your Ear each Friday on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, and RadioInfluence.com.